Welcome to the Mexibro Movie Show. This is a podcast about flautas and ninjas and menudo and explosions. Well, it's about some of those things. We want to take you on a journey. But before we do, we need to let you know that this podcast does include some adult language and content. So if you're easily offended, then we might recommend a different podcast. Surely Oprah has one by now. Thank you and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Mexi Bro Movie Show. Howdy. We're your hosts, Fred and Noel. <laughs> I said nine with the question. Yeah, you want to say that again? <laughs> oh. Yeah. He's, he's like, fuck it. That's, that's, that's the realest part of the show. <laughs> really? It is springtime, finally. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, winter is over. You know, those 70 degree winter days that we had to deal with. <laughs> Pretty hot Texas summer. Yeah, no, what the fuck, man? We had snow one day. We didn't get anything like that here. As we're recording, it's the day after Frat Boy Christmas, a.k.a. St. Patrick's Day. It's just the day. It's a day for savings. (laughs) On on green booze. Here at the Mexi Bro Movie Show, we, uh, we do a couple of things. First off, we watch a bad movie, and then we discuss it and kind of learn a little bit about how people can... I don't know, turn a lemon into lemonade, I guess. I don't know. Um, then we, we do our uh, Dirty Launch Pad segment where we talk to somebody from West Texas who is going to do, uh, who is doing something in their field, uh, art, music, video games, uh, television, uh, pretty much anything that uh, if, you, if you can buy it and watch it, then uh, it's fair game. And we have a lot of people from West Texas that have done something uh, pretty amazing, and we just want to kind of get into their heads and find out what they did uh, to get there. And then lastly, uh, or not lastly, we do have, of course, the uh, Hot Mexican Minute with Uncle Rob. And he's going to, you know, kind of go over a movie. This this month, I think Rob is going to do the movie Congo. And uh, then, of course, lastly, we have our Medica look at where we describe a little bit of what we're into. So, um, man, that's an, another huge episode, Fred. Yep. <laughs> Sad it. You sound it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, man. So what movie did we watch this month, man? I can hear the dark if I listen hard. Uh, this month, uh, we watched uh, 1976's uh, Squirm, Eesh. which was, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I think the, I think that's our sweet spot for these, these movies, <laughs> is like, like Mid seventies, early eighties. Yeah, I'm getting to get a feel. I might, we might try to get out of the box once or twice, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable here in this zone. Yeah, like and this was another movie that was brought to us by a listener. I'm trying to pull up his name as we speak. It's uh, John John R. Yeah, John R. And for <laughs> for picking this movie, you're gonna get a pair of stickers that we will be sending you ASAP. And I think, like I was saying, like the, these type of movies are our sweet spot because we put it out there to like you know uh, recommend bad movies. And uh, I don't know, some of the suggestions we were getting, I was just like, I don't know if maybe we need to put like more specifics as a type of movie that we're getting because uh, like I'm just saying, <laughs> I think people can suggest one option, and it might be something that we wouldn't have considered watching 
that we could. I, I really don't keep keep him coming. I, I really don't care. We'll we'll watch the we'll pick something out of the bunch and then and then uh and then we'll see uh what we if we can make it through. How many times did you have to try and watch this movie? Uh, once, but it took me like two days to do it. It took me about three tries to get through the thing. I was. I was, man, I think that's my, my magic number. I usually know I can, I can buckle down on the attempt number three. Um, uh, it was directed by Jeff Lieberman. Uh, not really much for this guy that, uh, is in the mainstream, you know, world. You know, I, I don't really see a lot of people watching. Uh, there was a, a TV series that he did called Till Death Do Us Part, or he, he did, I think, the pilot episode, and he tried to do a couple of other things, but he's, he, he did Sa- Satan's Little Helper. That might be something that people have seen on yeah. Netflix, you know, and, uh, he, he wrote that one and, 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 uh, directed it. He wrote Squirm and directed it. Uh, he also did the screenplay for Never Ending Story 3. <laughs> so, you know, if you're, you ever wanted to know, there you go. That was for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the only other thing that when I was looking through his IMDb, I was like, the only thing I recognized was Satan's Little Helper, which is a movie I've never even seen, but it's just like one of those, things that like you saw everywhere for a while so, and like uh the the music was by robert prince who he also kind of did he did his 70s tv kind of run he did like ironside a bionic woman wonder woman um and he did some episodes of matlock so i give him props because i used to watch a lot of matlock when i was a kid for some reason <laughs> and then uh and then of course rick baker did the the visual effects for the makeup um did he really yeah i didn't even notice that yeah i mean that have one scene with that Billy dude's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean that it, it was definitely above the rest, and, and that makes sense. But uh, yeah, I guess this was one of the first movies you ever got to work on. All right, Fred. Now it is time for the Mas y Menos. We have five sentences, and we're going to try and explain the entire plot of Squirm in five sentences or less. And uh, Fred, you go ahead. So uh, the plot, uh, the Blue Power Ranger uh, comes to town <laughs> to meet his southern girlfriend, which I don't know where they met from, uh, who wears Daisy Don'ts through the whole movie. Uh, they run afoul of uh, a racist southern sheriff, which I thought was uh, West Texas or a documentary. <laughs> right. uh, they re- he receives no southern hospitality, uh, and no one believes him about... Uh, worms that are taking over the village uh let's see meets his uh girlfriend's uh, family who's a little odd sister reminds me of jerry jewel from facts of life don't look it up because you'll probably delete it you social justice bastard uh, no, go ahead. and and then they uh then they <laughs> then, they win, the, then they win then they win then they win then they win that's pretty good i won't <laughs> I know the reference uh, to Miss Jewel. <laughs> she and she was a triumph. Okay. <laughs> she did kind of remind me of her. Okay. Um Yeah, okay, so I, I'm gonna take a crack at it. So we'll start with a vague exposition card setting up a lie. A bad storm leading up to your typical first date human skeleton discovery shenanigans. Southern cop ain't taking no city guff. Worm in, my, worm in my egg cream and in Roger's face. <laughs> and we must battle the worm infected Roger until the power company finally comes out to do their damn job. So, and that's, um, that's, that's essentially the plot of, of Squirm. 
I mean, there's not much to it, man. Um, the movie is just, it's pacing is kind of discussed in a lot of the reviews about it. And uh, a lot of the history is that they're there. This was something that they had planned on doing. And I didn't really understand why you would want to keep a horror movie's pace like drudgingly slow. It was yeah. just so boring. Like, and I couldn't yeah. figure out, um, I couldn't figure out what I guess they were trying to do with the worms. Like according to IMDb, they had they'd gone to the East Coast and they had pretty much wiped out all of the uh, the the worm orders for that, like for the bait orders for all of the ship fishing companies uh, that year. They had they had placed two hundred and fifty thousand worm orders at a time in order to have enough worms to shoot all the things that they intended to. And the the film shot. Uh, took about 24 days. So that pretty much like destroyed the fishing season in that, that one year. So <laughs> kudos to them for impacting a local economy. That <laughs> What did they do with the worms afterwards? Just like um, leave them in the South. I just imagine that the, you know, to this day, the South has never smelled the same. So yeah, there's just like, like how like you bring in another animal into a different environment and it takes it. Away. <laughs> I didn't look up what kind of worm that they were showing that had those giant hooks coming out of their face. Yeah. Did you Did you find out what they were? Uh, I didn't want to. Every time they showed up, I was like, "Good lord!" And then, yeah, they had I didn't a- like the uh, the beginning for just a second. I think I tweeted about it when I started watching it because I really thought this movie was going to go somewhere because of the opening with the storm and it has like my worst fears, like children singing in the dark. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I had that creepy ass song. That was the only part of the film that actually stirred any kind of like terror filled emotion is yeah. like little kids singing man in the middle of the night while the wind <laughs> blows, man, that's fucked up. It's like, I didn't know. I guess I have to look up the lyrics cause I'm just, I don't understand. Like at the, the, uh, the point towards the end when he's going up into the attic, the blue ranger, when he's going up into the attic and they, they play that song. And for a second, I was like, is it supposed to be the girl singing? Yeah. The song in the attic, and, that, and that's how it ties into the beginning of the movie. And then it wasn't; they were just playing the song. She yeah. was, she, she had a gag around her mouth. I just, I just couldn't. I, I don't know. Maybe. Who? I'm guessing that that's where they put all their money from. Um, that's where they put all the money from hiring the the composer. <laughs> that was like <laughs> your job is to write this creepy as shit song to make up for that non horror film we made. Um, yeah. You know, there there was some weird stuff, and this is all according to IMDb. So who knows how accurate it is? But um, Kim Basinger was said to have auditioned uh, oh, for the the main role of. Um, oh, what was her name? I was like, was there a main role? <laughs> well, the the female oh, protagonist. Oh, or, what's her name? Patricia Piercy, who played Jerry Sanders. Now, Jerry. That was the uh, uh, Patricia Piercy. Uh, what what a different career that uh, she might have had had she actually gotten that role. Get this, Stallone heavily oh, wanted to be the part of Roger. Like, oh, he, man. I didn't say whether or not it was Frank Stallone <laughs> or Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. <laughs> I, I have to assume that it was Frank. Oh man, I love some Sylvester Stallone. That would have been the shit. And so, I don't know if he could have played like a Southern cause, cause that guy was really Southern in this movie. <laughs> well, no, he was, he was apparently a theater actor and he, he, uh, he, the, the character that, that we're talking about, his name is Roger. Uh, he is the main antagonist. I mean, there were, there were a couple of different ones, but he was the one that was supposed to be the big, um, the evil guy, at, you know, yeah. where he gets 
possessed by the worms. At the yeah, end I was about to say, like, did the worms give him special power? Like, they ate everybody else, but for this simpleton, they're just like, I don't they gave him super superhuman strength. Uh, he could the do, ability to crawl up he, upstairs. Doing the worm? I mean, like, who break dances up the fucking like stairs, man? <laughs> I mean, like, that's that's just insane. Uh, so originally, uh, he he was like a method actor. He got there a couple of weeks ahead of the shoot to start hanging out with the people and and learning the the accents and learning how to talk. So what's really funny is that every time he spoke to me, he just sounded like. Uh, um, Harry Connick Jr., but but more specifically Harry Connick Jr. from like Cheers, you know, when he would be like, "Isn't Carla dreamy?" You know, like I was like, "What the fuck?" Dude? Why? <laughs> like if this guy, if this guy studied the Southern accent and all that, I don't know, like for it to come out the way that it did, like I can see why his career didn't last much long. <laughs> oh, he was no. just like, "She's mine. She gonna be mine. You gonna take these one right there?" Like he sounded. <laughs> like boom hour <laughs> yeah well, i mean everybody on this like every like real background character sounded like king of the hill yeah i guess that's like, true. like that dude at the at the restaurant or whatever but he was just like he was oh. like it's the worst storm we had since i was knee high to duck and i was like jesus <laughs> christ well yeah he comes up with uh he loans his truck out and the, the there he's a he's the son of a worm farmer oh yeah, <laughs> yeah i didn't even know that was a thing but uh <laughs> He, uh, he loans his, uh, he loans his truck out to the girl so she can pick up her boyfriend. Uh, he comes back and all the worms that they have in the back of the truck are missing. So he gets pretty upset, but the dad gets really mad. And later he says, I wouldn't ever borrowed you my truck. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going like, what? <laughs> uh, like, wow. like he could have just watched some Andy Griffith show to learn southern accents if, if that was if that was as good as it was going to get from actually being in the environment right, right you know um you have your you have your i didn't i didn't really understand what city the guy was from all i knew is that he was from a city the character mick uh and uh that they hated city people in this town <laughs> dear god they hated city people like and i was like yeah where's that famous southern hospitality like as soon as he wanders in the town like they automatically dislike him like the, sh- the sheriff the waitress like the two nicest people you should always encounter in town those are they were immediately hostile towards him uh yeah. at the restaurant i would be too with his with his bullshit order <laughs> oh. Just like, oh, can i have a large <laughs> egg cream <laughs> an egg cream and she's like what the fuck is that yeah. I mean that, that her face said that she was more you know civil about it, but but you could get pretty much everything from that. Uh, she she makes him an egg cream and there's a worm in it, one of those creepy crawlies. Yeah. Um, I guess like an, an important thing to note at this point, the whole premise of this movie is that it was the title card says something about like the movie was uh, this is a telling of a story of uh, Fly Creek or something like that. Um, yeah. And this is a story about how the worms went crazy because there was electricity that was uh, a power line went down and it was just making contact with the wet ground, causing the worms to go crazy. And then they became infinitely aggressive and started biting and eating people. It's all bullshit. There was (laughs) no incidents that even suggested this, you know, that there was nothing. It was just a complete 
creation of the the writer director it took a lot of i guess like maybe you could do that in the 70s where you could just make up whatever you wanted to about nature and wildlife and there would be no yeah. no jackass around going like excuse me but um that it would not be possible uh-huh. with it you know yes. you're, you're too hard on yourself i, am. <laughs> <laughs> I was like you're not a jackass <laughs> They they went through and they they find all the worms that they can and it is a mess. I mean they they pop in and out just randomly like uh, like six hundred thousand worms will show up and and I mean literally they they had entire rooms filled with worms uh, to make this this effect happen um, and then they disappear like like in five seconds you know nobody. There's no indication. Oh of how yeah, they have like they're ability. just like completely gone right away. I was like, whoa. Like maybe they were have the ability to teleport or some shit, and that's what. <laughs> as best I can tell, worms might come out of the ground for a little bit. Yeah, it reminded me of the uh, that uh, that Godzilla movie with Matthew Broderick, <laughs> where he was like he would because uh, he was like a he was the worm expert, and he would like. Uh, put like electrical rods in the ground to get the worms to come out of the ground and oh. collect them for the, the, for the radiation tests or whatever. And I was like, wow, that'd be crazy if they, if they watched squirm and were like, this would be a good idea for a Godzilla movie. <laughs> that, that actually makes more sense in, in context <laughs> of that Godzilla movie. Um, there's, there's a couple other characters. I mean, yeah, I'll be honest with you. The movie's not, there's not much to talk about whenever it comes down to it. The, the movie's pretty straightforward. It's just establishing the characters. All right, Roger the Hick is in love with Jerry. Roger has pined for her secretly. And I kind of, they, they made him kind of like this lawn worker guy. And I thought with the southern <laughs> accent, it was lo- the lawnmower man. Yeah, like, he looked like a circus pinhead. Like he had like that little <laughs> little point on the top of his head. And, <laughs> and then I was he, like, those teeth, I hope those teeth are prosthetic. <laughs> like, he can't keep him in his mouth. You know, he he has this love for the other character, which she does not have for him, and she in fact is is trying to get her boyfriend in, um, and that that's where the source of tension from the movie is supposed to come. So um, they discover a, a bone picked skeleton, which makes them go and do the you know their their cur- investigating like the Scooby Gang. Yeah, and and it it just like. They break into a dentist's office to find out who, if they can match the bones to something. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I was just like, this kid, he might be an English lit major. I don't see him being like super, I don't see him being super anything, you know, like about having any <laughs> kind of medical background to understand. Um, but they, he did wear a pair of glasses, so he did cover yeah. that trope. So he was an uber nerd, so... Um, it reminds me a little of you where he thinks he, he he thinks he knows a little bit of everything I, well i have the internet now i mean that ex- <laughs> that explains that easily <laughs> this guy did not have such resources so that's where it's fucked up like whatever imdb was talking about like uh you know like oh weird goofs or whatever oh, yeah. like they, they miss like the most obvious goof which is like when when the worms eat the tree next to the house and the tree falls on the dining room and crushes it. Like obviously they did an add on to an existing house. Yeah. <laughs> like when the when the tree crushes the dining room, like you clearly see the original wall of the house. So it's not like it was just like an empty hole in the wall that led to the dining room. It's just the yellow panel. It's just the regular house <laughs> that's still attached to it. Yeah, and they they actually took that. He he had the actors actually in that room when they dropped it on there. Like yeah. there's, a, there's it's like we ran out of budget for stunt people. <laughs> So they, they, they were, he was trying to, he put a couple of cameras in there to try and see if he could capture a pretty, 
good action shot. And uh, I, I would qualify that as just an unnecessary risk to actors, you know. Um, but what are you going to do? You know, that nobody died. I'm pretty sure that they're all good. So um, <laughs> it leads up to like a, a shower scene. Like they've, I, I guess like in the original version, it was rated R. And then they um, they cut out, I think, a total of a minute and a half. Like they they <laughs> they stopped they they trimmed down the shower, shower scene for the girl, and they trimmed down the worm scene for Roger, and they could give it a PG rating, so that way they could get it into um, theaters and have a bigger audience and stuff, and it made it easier for it to get it into syndication. There was a baseball team. I don't re- recall which one, but. Apparently, it was very common for them to show this movie after every baseball game in like the, <laughs> the 83, 84, 85, somewhere around there. And, yeah. uh, and they would always be like, if they would have people write a review, and one of the sports commentators would say, if you could write a review that we like, then they would send them a, uh, a autographed baseball, you know. So oh, yeah. this movie had some love, and there was like, a, there was a, a, a some well known movie reviewer. He was a uh, music guy. Uh, uh, oh yeah, his name. I think it was Weird Paul Petrowski. Um, he made a tribute album based on this song, sampling all of the the things that happened in the movie. And the album was called Worm in My Egg. Six, <laughs> Sixteen tracks, all titled Worm in My Egg. And uh, apparently, it was it was a cult had a cult following. Um, it's this movie. I mean, the things that were actually about this movie that happened after the movie were way more interesting than the movie itself. Um, Mystery Science Theater picked this one up and did a did an episode in '99, um, yeah. and the, I think they cut out pretty much like you know like the shower scenes and more of the graphic uh, stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I think their version was 45 minutes because yeah. I think on that one they actually like uh, what they would do every once in a while. They would watch like a short film like before the actual movie. Mm-hmm. So for a sh- for a show that was like an hour and a half, like with all their regular crap, and then they watched a short film like this version. <laughs> the, their version of Squirm was like 45 minutes. It would make sense. Like they cut out yeah. the, the the some of the deaths and they cut out the more gruesome stuff. <laughs> they probably like cut out like that Mick dude walking to the to get the wood for the to fill the hole in the house oh yeah i'm, I'm sure they did i mean there was no reason he had to go out that far um, <laughs> there was there was there's really not much to say it all just comes back that for some reason the worms are gonna go to the girl's house and there's a lot of worms there and they built these sets that had these undulating floors that where they would they would make the floor wave so it looked like the worms are just like under their own yeah. power, making all this motion. Roger shows up. He kidnaps the girl and takes her to the attic. And then uh, Mick goes in there. And again, to describe Mick, he looks more like, like like the Blue Ranger. He just does not. He's not a leading guy. He's not strong. <laughs> he doesn't. There's nothing about him that suggests that he could fight. But you know, whatever. He goes in and overpowers Roger and throws Roger into the worms, which you assume he's going to be eaten. Because they do a big dramatic uh, Terminator Two style dipping into the the molten, <laughs> he ends up just um, coming back this time with the behavior of a worm. He starts doing break dancing up the stairs. The sister gets knocked into a room where uh, oh, Jerry Jewel. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Jewel gets <laughs> or knocked into ter- Daisy. Don't <laughs> Jerry Jewel gets knocked into the um, to the worms and you th- and it's implied she's just dead. You know, like. 
surely there's no surviving these crazy electrified worms. The the worms eat people, and, and the mom, <laughs> I guess, is she's a casualty. Like she doesn't make it. Yeah, that's it, right. They they took her form. <laughs> It was just like, what? They know. just made a silhouette out of worms of, <laughs> of her. That was funny. Roger the redneck worm slinks up the stairs, gets over to where they're trying to escape from a window on the second floor, and comes up and, and bites um, Mick in the hand, or the leg, and in the thigh, and then he gets beaten off, and then they climb out a tree, and... They wait till morning for the sunlight to chase the worms away. Yeah, yeah, that was the worms' weakness was light. <laughs> and then that was it. I think the power guy comes up and he's like, well, we got the power fixed. He's like, hey, you love birds. <laughs> yeah. What are y'all doing? Fucking in a tree? Yeah, what's yeah. going on up there? <laughs> you know, it's like. Is there room for one more in that tree? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> then the, there's a reveal that the other girl did actually make it. She was hiding yeah, in the trunk. Yeah, she was like, she was like, oh, I saw young guns when Billy the Kid <laughs> hit inside. <laughs> oh yeah, hit inside a trunk and then popped out. I'll make you famous. That'd have been so. awesome if they threw her out of the second story window. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been cool. Uh, what a cool. <laughs> her, just, her lifeless body just plops. Out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, she makes a death rattle before she dies. Um, yeah, it was. And then it's the end, and you just sit here going like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, like I didn't even do anything cool, like where they reveal that you know, like Redneck Raj is like still out there squirming, or just like there's another pile of worms, like you know, like this the way that they would usually end movies like that in the seventies and eighties. Like they didn't even do anything like that. They just they pan down to the ground, but like but didn't do anything like that. And then just just like credits, credits, and you're just like, "What the fuck?" Now the cast, I do want to kind of go over them a little bit. Um, so you had Don, Don Scardino as Mick, and he didn't do anything as as an actor, but he did like a ton of shit. Like he directed uh, Thirty Rock, Two Broke Girls, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, The Mindy Project, Law and Order, and like like everything in between. This guy has just done. He, he's consistently yeah. worked and had a, uh, just an impressive career for for te- television. Um, all those shows, are, I, I've never seen Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but I hear it's good. I, but everything else on that, I, I, I've watched at some point in my life. Yeah. Um, Patricia Piercy as Jerry Sanders starred in, uh, you know, she was a guest star in like Starsky and Hutch and Rockford Files, TJ Hooker, the like. Um, most notably, a movie, Cockfighter. Yeah, I went on Red Tube. I couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, there's just so much in there. I don't want, you know, the images that are happening in my head to be destroyed by finding out what this movie actually is about. I just assume it's like a post-apocalyptic nightmare where she's going around taking down rape gangs and stuff. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, you I know. was thinking, I was thinking giant roosters. Like, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. we should actually try to get her on the show. She's actually from Texas. Is she really? Yeah. Wait, she's she... from San Angelo. Hey, well, that's close enough to West Texas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the caveat that they <laughs> I'm sure we could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny is like because uh, on her her IMDb page, which is really small, it says that she's uh, she okay. Like she didn't act beyond like the 70s. She was an art uh, an, uh, an acting teacher. Uh, in- yeah, she teaches acting in Austin. <laughs> and like I was saying, like it doesn't specify like a school like UT or anything like that. So I'm just assuming that she teaches acting at a homeless shelter or, <laughs> at her house. Or, or like she's keep, she's keeping Austin weird or whatever the fuck they say over there. Yeah. 
Which is really because she's a horrible actress. Like it was like one of the scenes where they were walking out of the house, and she's telling that Mick dude, she's like, "What, what, what, what are we gonna do?" <laughs> <laughs> that may be cool for Hanna Barbera cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that may have been her life experience up to that point, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, so you had R. A. Dow who played uh, Redneck Roger the Worm. You know, he he actually sadly did not do anything else after that movie. Like, I was like, don't give him too much because he sounded almost a little too impressed with them. He's like, oh, he was a a theater guy, and I was, was like, yeah, but there, there's theaters in Leveland and Lubbock. <laughs> he was he was trained the, in the theater. And in the theater. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know where you like. Look, like the only other update, like on his IMDb page, if I remember correctly, was like somebody just like copy and pasted a flyer from like nineteen seventy something that mentioned his name in it that he was going to be performing oh. <laughs> some show, and, and that was the extent of it. I like how he went with R. A. Dow. That was his, his stage name. Yeah. What does the R stand for? Is it Robert? <laughs> is is it Richard? Remus? What could it be? Remus, yeah, Remus Dow. But anyway, so you had Jean uh, Jean Sullivan as Naomi Sanders. That was the mom, and she was in like a couple episodes of Somerset. Didn't really do much, and I think she's dead. And so. like every, everybody beyond that doesn't even have a blue link on their yeah on their IMDb page. I'm guessing that was their first and only film. Now, with the exception oh. of uh, Peter McLean, who played the sheriff, sheriff, uh, oh, yeah. sheriff Southern Pants. He, uh, yeah. they make fun of his teeth even in the fucking movie. How messed up is that? Where they're all just like, <laughs> they're like, you know, Sheriff, Sheriff Teeth over there? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> Sheriff Teeth. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, damn. Like, that's fucked up. Why would you, why would you get this actor on here who is, and, and I will say he's probably the better of the two. He, and he did make you hate the law. I mean, he did his job. Um, <laughs> but he, but they brought him on just to, specifically make fun of his fucking chompers man that's that's messed up but uh okay so he's done like a ton of stuff he was like in out of this world and knots landing falcon crest jake and the fat man break into the electric boogaloo heart to heart cagney and lacy battlestar galactica wonder woman buck rogers hunter macgyver the A Team and Knight Rider. I mean, this dude did fucking every TV show in the. How was he? How was he in all those shows, but not Airwolf? Yeah, right. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? Man? How is that possible? And then, uh, then of course, uh, your favorite friend Higgins, who played what was it, Judy Tenuta. What did you call her? <laughs> Jerry Jewel. <laughs> Jerry Jewel. Yeah, okay. From you know, she's yeah. Her only credit was Squirm. And if you watch the movie, you will know exactly why. I mean, she was not a very good actress. And, it, you know, fine. If you put me in a movie, it would not be a very good acting performance. I get that. I'm I'm fine with that. But that just means I can call him like I see him. And she was on my level. She was terrible. <laughs> I mean, the, this movie um, was insanely bad. And I am dumber for watching it, I think. <laughs> if yeah. if you're... If you're gonna if you're gonna watch this movie, you should definitely watch the Mystery Science Theater version. Yeah, like I would even say, like, because initially, like when I st- when I first started watching, it, I was just like, oh man, this sounds like this looks like something like you know, 1988 me would have liked watching like on Saturday when they like when they show like horror movies on Saturday afternoons, and then like about 15 minutes, like once the worms weren't showing up, I was just like, oh my god, like there's 
there's nothing redeeming about this except for you know finding shit to make fun of it was it was really crazy the the hero didn't really seem like a hero he gets knocked out at one point by plywood you know like they just drop a piece and he's just like um (laughs) also you can cure poison ivy with marijuana according to this movie so there's i was just wondering like when when he got off the bus like why did he have a tennis racket like what was he expecting to do in the south (laughs) where's I, I, it didn't even look like a full size. I think it might have been badminton, <laughs> and I, I have heard of Southern people playing badminton. So, like maybe he read in a book that that, that was cool. Yeah, I thought he was. He thought he was going to go to a plantation where they have like. I, li- I liked. I really did yeah. like how he had the 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 fishing pole in the bus. Oh um, yeah, and you're just like, dude, if that has yeah. a hook on it, you're going to take out that baby's eye. What the fuck, you know, like. And because this movie didn't strike me as they they really thought about the actor safety when, <laughs> when they were doing that stuff. So this movie was just I don't know it was pa- badly written, badly shot. I almost want to see Satan's Little Helper just to see if the dude learned how to tell the story and set a pace. You know, twenty <laughs> years later, I haven't seen Never Ending Story three. I have no. Maybe we'll watch it for this podcast, but there's no reason for me to ever go down that path you know like i just can't imagine man whew. so do you yeah, so, so how many how many enchiladas are you giving this or are you still using uh, that, no. metric, that metric that was a joke fred that was not real <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um i think uh i would not recommend even on a for a for watching a movie that's terrible and just you know to make fun of it even i wouldn't even do that there's nothing for like 80% of this movie to do. Most of the exciting action stuff that we talked about happens in like the last 15 minutes of the movie. Um, you can watch that and just imagine that the beginning was really good. Yeah. I, mean, I think at this point it's safe to say that we'll always recommend not watching these movies. Like, so we, we do this podcast so you don't have to watch these That's movies right. every time. That's all right. But we do want to thank our, our listener, John R. Uh, we really were grateful, you know, that, um, he gave us some some honest feedback. He had a couple of suggestions in there. Actually, I think I think this is the one we wanted. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just all together, it was a pretty terrible movie, uh, except for the other four movies we watched prior to this one. Because Noel didn't like those either. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm I'm willing to bet, man. There's going to be one that somebody suggests that I'm going to come back and love. I'm just going to be like, love. <laughs> I'm going to say it. It's safe to say that's not going to happen. No, <laughs> really. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah! Well, and that sound in the background is that's that's the uh, Mexi Bro uh, <laughs> end of the end of the line caboose. <laughs> you know that's the only part you're gonna hear. Um, the uh, up next we do have what were you gonna say? Go ahead. I was gonna say fucking leave that in. Shake <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it off. Get back to one, Fred. Deep breath. We are, we are, um, we can put that one behind us. We made it. So up next, we do have, uh, the dirty launch pad coming up with, uh, our special guest, Travis Nichols, all the way from San Francisco, California. Uh, he is an author, um, comic book publisher. He does his own stuff and he's been doing this for years. He's also been in a, like a ton of really great bands. Um, we want to talk to him because he's had some success. Uh, what were his books that you had, Fred? Uh, he's done Matthew Meets the Man. Uh, let's see, Monster Doodle Books, uh, Punk Rock Etiquette, Foul Play, I think is his newest one. 
uh, by Travis Nichols. Uh, he's got quite a big library here. Yeah, he he did the uh, I think I like Applesauce comics way back in the day, and um, and you know he was one of the only guys you know when, when he would play a show here in West Texas um, because he he traveled everywhere. I mean he did lots of great stuff, but he would uh, he would actually sell music and then he would also sell his comics at the same time. So uh, that is, I mean, if you if you ever met Travis, the guy is just energetic, creative, just does what he does, and uh, and it, we can't wait to talk to him, find out a little bit more about where he started from and, and what he's doing now. And so um, if you are the creative type, uh, you definitely want to pay attention because this is a guy who, who really can uh, have a million ideas and then enough focus to kind of channel it into getting something, you know, uh, something created and, 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 and out there. It's really cool to see uh, somebody who can marry vision with, with uh Hard work. So uh, we're going to be talking with him in just a little bit. Uncle Rob's going to be doing, of course, the uh, the Congo, the movie with the monkey. <laughs> I we're going to have to tread lightly here. Amy I don't, sad. Uh, Amy sad. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. Oh, and and yes, we're gonna we're gonna come up on the uh, the Medica look at, of course. So we're going to be talking a little bit about those things. Uh, Coming up, this music for this episode is going to be including the works of Tom Blackburn, who's a, he's a Portland, Oregon, uh, local now, but he originated here in West Texas and started, uh, his music career. He's played with a ton of different people. So we'll have that in a little bit. God, this episode's so long already. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, is, man. This segment or the, well, everything. Or the so Tom Blackburn's going to be doing this thing. Um, but we're, we're going to, Take a minute and get a word from our sponsor. Hi there. If you're anything like me, you know nothing about fashion. And yet, I have no desire to look like I'm stepping out of a 1970s D-list horror film. Fashion decisions should not make you squirm. You should go to somebody you trust, like Angela at the Louvain Salon. With over 20 years of experience in haircuts and styling, highlights, hair color, perms, and waxing, You'll be looking and feeling your absolute best. Tell them the Mexi Bro sent you and get a 40% discount on a haircut and style. Offer good until June 30th, 2016. Make an appointment today by calling Angelo at 806-474-2403 or stop by the Luban Salon at 3624 50th Street in Lubbock, Texas in the Mediterranean Shopping Center. Angelo will have you squirming with delight, not disappointment. And don't forget to tell him the Mexi Bros sent you. And now the premiere of The Little Orphan Army, where we feature a West Texas artist performing live in our studio. We happily present Bring Olives by Tom Blackburn. Thank you. 
Welcome back. We are now at the Dirty Launchpad, where we talk to a West Texan who has gone on to work in the fields of art, music, TV, video games, or film. Uh, we want to find out a little about them and their process to, that got them where they are. Uh, joining us all the way from San Francisco, California, is our guest, Travis Nichols. Greetings. Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. It's going good. Good to have you. It's, uh, Thanks, man. This is like uh, this is really cool. You're the furthest west guest we've ever had. Furthest west <laughs> until we uh, find somebody on an inner tube out in the Pacific. Okay. Yeah, someone from Lubbock has like got lost at sea. <laughs> <laughs> could happen. It, it actually could. people from people from uh, West Texas aren't really used to open water. So uh, <laughs> now, Travis, you are the author. Of uh, gosh, a lot of different things. Let's see the punk rock etiquette, the ultimate how-to guide for DIY punk indie and underground bands. You've done like a, a yep. SpongeBob SquarePants series, a Hello Kitty series, the Monster Doodle book, Matthew meets the man, like countless other stuff. I mean, just an impressive uh, just body of publications, man. That's pretty cool. Like, uh, thanks, man. And you also have done music. You're, of course, in the needies. That's how I remember you from. You like played a show a week when you're here living in, in, in yeah. the neck of the woods. And then, uh, my favorite one, of course, and I only got to see this like once or twice was the, uh, uh, Omega Monster Patrol, which was, uh, yeah, that was, that was fun. How did you, uh, how did you come up with that idea for Omega Monster Patrol? Omega Monster Patrol was, I, I think, the result of just everything I was into as a kid. Um, it's like weird monster movies and sci-fi and uh, video games that don't make a lot of sense plot-wise. Just kind of like simple. I and and I kind of played with the like social issues, like racism and stuff by by this kind of blanket hatred of of monsters that you kind of see, especially in in, in kid stuff, uh, which I which I was always kind of interested in playing with. Um, and I, I started that project because I wanted something simple 
um, music wise. And so it was like just me and then um, a robot monster that danced around and a TV screen with a face on it and a robot body. And then I, I, you know, all these lights and a DVD track. And it, it got to the point where it was a lot more complicated than like any other band I was in just because I kept adding I was like oh, I should get a I should get a smoke machine cool <laughs> I should get a strobe light and so I had this giant like control panel of switches you know that I like made from stuff at uh, Home Depot and it was just like wow this is a lot more complicated than you know plugging a guitar in yeah so that might have been the thing that killed it no it was a lot of fun I wish uh I wish we would have uh do, do you actually have any video? I'd love to be able to post something up like that. Of, of maybe a recording I have show. like one video that's kind of an older performance um, that I think is on YouTube, unless I like shame deleted it. I, and I can't remember <laughs> if I did. <laughs> but it's something I, I still have the costume in my closet. And then I've always kind of like, man, I wish I could do. I, I mean, I, I was originally going to do um, a series of music videos and then I just kind of did it live instead. Oh, right. And so I it kind of strayed from the course immediately. And I think that was, uh, why it didn't really last that long. Oh, no. Well, it was, it was, it's actually one of the things in, in West Texas music that really stands out to me. So, um, I, I honestly, I, it was very creative and inventive and there's a reason probably why other people haven't tried to do it. You know, most of what you just described the complex. Well, yeah. But, uh, and, and there was, uh, it, it was kind of out of, I don't know. I, I might have. I was trying to play the same kind of venues that that I was playing before, and that might not have been the best thing. I think I, I played art gallery shows, and that was probably the best way to do it. No. Um, I played. I remember playing. I played a house show in uh, San Antonio, and um, the kid like there were like thirty or forty kids there, and, and they were standing in a backyard like thirty feet away from me and just staring, and they didn't <laughs> like didn't know what to do with it. But then I got a text from from the the guy who booked it like an hour after I left and they're like we're playing your CD and everybody's dancing and I'm like well where were you uh, 2 hours ago right. that's that's uh, west texas in general i've actually heard that from many of the the traveling musicians they do that west texas stare thing where they just look at you and they needed a process for a while yeah yeah you know and and after a while you always get the feedback of how much they loved it but they don't applaud they they kind of stare at you oddly. <laughs> now backing up just yeah. just a little bit, where 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 are sure. you from originally? Where did you come from? Uh, I mean, I was born in Brownwood, but I, I grew up in uh, Lubbock and Abilene, and then I went back to Texas Tech. So Lubbock and Abilene, kind of back and forth mostly. Right what what schools did you attend? I went to let's see, uh, once in Lubbock, I went to Roscoe Wilson Elementary. Um, where Buddy Holly went to elementary school. If I could. Name drop Buddy Holly real quick. Right, right and uh, let's see, then Madison Middle School, Lincoln Middle School, and then Abilene High and Cooper High School in, in, in Abilene. So I kind of I, I bounced around a little bit there. And then, yeah, then I went to Texas Tech for college. Did you have any teachers or any mentors in general that helped you kind of guide your focus with art and music in, in any of those communities? Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of weird. I, I mean, I, I had a lot of great teachers and, you know, my mom's a teacher um, and, and my parents were always really, really, really supportive. But I, like a direct mentor is something I've always kind of wanted but never had. So my, I guess my mentors were like, you know, Jim Henson and Paul Rubens and, uh, you know, 
Disney and, and things like that. When I was just that I was consuming like from movies and TV. I hear people talking about their mentors sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I never really like. They're like, my mentor told me that I should think about like you're what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a life coach. I don't have one of those. Right. I, that's probably more of a West Coast thing. I, I've I've been hard pressed. I've been searching the phone book, and I can't find a life coach in Lubbock, Texas, anywhere. So. <laughs> Maybe you should just be a life coach. I mean, that's maybe that's where they come from. Maybe, maybe so. I've got, I can yeah. corner the market. That's what I'll do. <laughs> so, um, yeah. was there was there a place in West Texas that that you went to frequently? Some place that was kind of like your like a recharging station for you spiritually or, or socially? You know, just kind of kind of put you grounded back to where you could create. And- um, where I could create. I mean, I. I played a lot of shows at J and B coffee and went there to draw a lot. J and B in Lubbock. Um, just so, I mean, you know, especially back then there were so many just kind of scattered places to play and like have art shows and things like that. So it's almost like the pe- like the people, I guess were more of more of that place for me. And, you know, cause like a, a venue or a gallery would last four months right. and then, <laughs> get shut down. And so then, you know, like it'd be like a lot of times it was the same group of people who would kind of, okay, well we're going to build this place now. And then and they would set something up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess the answer to that is it's, yeah, it's the people who were kind of that recharging like force. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that because like in through, you know, I played in a, in a band for a while and uh, it was always the, the artistic, you know, geared people that would tend to always show up to things. And so they would always have a new place that would come and people would gravitate and it was fun. I mean, it was really cool for, yeah. for West Texas, man. And you, you wouldn't expect it, but it was totally there. There was a really good pulse for, um, you know, social connections and for, you know, exploring what art could be. So it was really and, cool. And there's, yeah, there's something kind of cool about, I, I, I played, I've played in San Angelo, um, like, four or five times and I never played in the same place twice because I mean, one time I played in the same building twice, but it was completely different people running it. There's just, you know, there's that kind of, I don't know. It's like this drifter kind of like <laughs> like energy there where, where, you know, like something like I ran an art gallery for six months in, in Lubbock and it got, and it got shut down before we really like gained. And this is before, like I really like got into the music scene there. So I mean, there's, there's kind of this push and pull between, you know, a bunch of, like punks who don't know what they're doing, who somehow managed to rent a space or like, like, Oh, the warehouse behind my job will let us have shows here. You know, they're for a while until somebody, you know, pees on like pees on the floor or complains or, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. So my, my co-host Fred, he's, uh, he's also, uh, actually illustrated some, uh, a a children's book and, uh, you know, he's, he's got more of an art focus, um, and I, I think at this point I'd probably have to hand over some of the reins to him cause I think it's more yeah. in his world. So, uh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, hi, uh, this is Fred. Uh, hey, Fred. first time questioner, long time host. <laughs> uh, but, uh, one of my main questions is like, um, as far as like writing and illustrating like children's books or the comics that you've done, uh, I mean, how did you get started in in doing that like is it just something that you've always liked to do as a child and it just stuck with you into adulthood yeah it's it is something i've always done but there have been huge breaks um you know i was always drawing comics as a kid and and reading reading comics and stuff but then i I definitely stopped for a while probably for in 
going into high school, I stopped until I was, I guess, even at, like after college. I mean, I was like painting and, and, and things, but comics and music, I, I wasn't really um, going for until right after college. And the first mini comic I, I put out myself, I drew entirely at work. Um, at a, I worked at a sign shop right after I graduated from tech and, and uh, anytime my boss would leave to, to do like an installation, I would draw a page or two and um, never got caught, which is sweet. <laughs> and, and it was just that kind of, I don't know, like a weird rebellion thing that, that kind of got me excited about doing, doing comics again. And, and I think also music, there's, there's like such an overlap in like the music and the art scene and, and the like, you know, zines and, and comics and everything. Um, I mean, anywhere you go that when I was getting excited about music and stuff again, I was getting really excited about, about comics and, and art and stuff. So yeah, it's always, it's always been there and, and kind of like ebbs and flows. And I mean, I'm getting into comics again after yeah. not really doing them for another f- few years. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like a back of the mind thing that kind of pokes up every, <laughs> every once in a while. How did you develop your, your art style? Like, does it change from work to work or do you have um, a set style that you like to work in? Yeah, I feel like it's pretty, it's pretty locked in at this yeah. point. And, and it's, I, I almost feel sometimes that I, I never really stopped drawing the way a kid draws. I've just kind of gotten like tighter about it. Um, cause I, I, I wasn't su- like really into like superhero comics. I was more of like a, newspaper comics and yeah. Calvin and Hobbes and Archie kind of guy. And so I liked those, I liked the clean lines and I was always kind of more, that kind of came more naturally to me. And yeah. uh, even though I'm really into a lot of like the messy, scratchy like style, it's, it's something I, I kind of wish I could do sometimes, but if I try it, I feel like I'd be starting from scratch. Well, yeah. starting from scratch is a really cool pun that I wish I planned, but it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not really like for me, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's like with the because I saw that you had done some work uh, with uh, the Ugly Doll comics and like that. That did you was it hard to have to stick with that develop that style that they already had, or did it seem like it matched kind of like what you were already doing? Or? I felt yeah, I felt like that was a pretty like simpatico type of, of style, mm-hmm. and and there was also a little bit of looseness to that. And the, I wrote most of the stories in those books, and that's primarily what what I was hired to do. But I did. Um, a couple of stories in each. Well, there's one I didn't, I don't think I drew anything in, but I did one or two stories in each book and, oh, really? oh, okay. and the style I kind of like stuck with pretty closely, but as, as much as it was kind of natural to me. Um, I mean, there were like little things like I usually draw eyes as just dots and then mm-hmm. just try to do what I can with that. But, um, that was like one little note that I had to, I had to stick with with like ugly dolls. Their eyes mm-hmm. are not drawn like that. And, and until they started this new series of like little miniature ones where yeah. the eyes are dots. And I thought that was really interesting that of all the things like that was such a sticking point. Um, <laughs> like uh, the, those eyes have to be, you know, different. One. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Otherwise a, it's totally the wrong thing. I, I have a question for you now through, you know, art and business are kind of like a, this, evil marriage, you know, it's an unhappy marriage most of the time. Um, and mm-hmm. when you're working with someone whose primary function is to sell, um, you don't get to do the unbridled creation. Um, 
So how do you, how do you temper that? Because along with that comes, you know, rejection and along with that comes with, you know, in a sense, failure. You know, sometimes you might present something that is not going to be, uh, accepted and they, they tell you politely or impolitely, no, we're going to go with something else. How do you personally sure. uh, deal with that kind of rejection? Because it's different when you're from doing your own thing. It's you're presenting to someone else. Yeah. Um, I've been pretty lucky with like SpongeBob is a really good example of this where the um, editor that of the SpongeBob comic book is, he used to be the comics editor of Nickelodeon magazine. And that's how I met him originally. And uh, he's always been very cool and had a, a good vision of letting people's styles come through. And if, if he's, if he's trying to, you know, if he's hiring you to draw something for something like SpongeBob, that's, very distinctive. Um, he wants you for your style and the way I draw SpongeBob, it's still SpongeBob for like, it, there's no denying it's SpongeBob, but it's definitely not the, what you see on right. TV or on, you know, pinatas or knockoff, <laughs> like, you know, gear out in the world, but it's, Hey, wait, did you just make it? So did, I think you, did you just, just make a pinata reference because we're Mexi bros. I, 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 I mean, not because you are, but I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's like, I try. I tried to use. I tried to use terms you guys would understand. <laughs> We're just giving you a hard time. <laughs> well, I was thinking because the first thing that pops into my head is, um, you know, like SpongeBob. It, it, I feel like is kind of. I mean, there's so much competing with 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 yeah. that franchise now. But when you go to Central and South America, it is like SpongeBob, Erwer, and like you can't escape oh, wow. like the power of SpongeBob. And like I was in uh, Peru on New Year's like four years ago, and, and I had a SpongeBob hat that I that I found, and so I always think about that style and how I always wonder like, is this an official release from United Plankton Pictures Incorporated, or is this just like somebody? And that's the thing. It's like you know the way I draw SpongeBob is yes, that's SpongeBob, but it's not what you would see. Right. And for that project, it's totally cool. Um, Ugly Doll was kind of the same. I did a comic for Hello Kitty that was probably the most specific, um, just because there are, you know, like Hello Kitty doesn't have a mouth. Um, there's no words. There's just like you, like some, yeah, some kind of franchises and properties can stretch more than others. So I think it's, it is just about saying like, this isn't, this isn't for me because it's too far to the point that it's not. What about, what about with something that you presented that you thought was going to be, be it original or, or, you know, you, you thought it was going to work and for some reason it just didn't get any kind of response. What do you feel about that kind of work? Uh, I'm trying to think of an an example. I think that, um, for something like, like the SpongeBob comic, the, the, the comics that aren't the like official, the official like visual style that, that, um, the energy still has to be there. The characters still have to be there. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't suddenly make SpongeBob like a genius or, you know, he, they have to be who they are. And I think that's more important a lot of the time than the way they look. I um, so I think if, if I've strayed too far in, you know, something that's out of character, that's, that's where I kind of get pinged on something. I gotcha. Um, more so than the visual. But I imagine you, you can, kind of regroup and get it. But I mean, obviously you've worked on it, so you, <laughs> I can't, I, you didn't stop because they had a critique of what you had done. So no, well, and, and it's cool that, uh, it's kind of weirdly kind of a side note, but doing the research for that kind of stuff 
is, is kind of neat because I can just watch cartoons for you know a few hours and, <laughs> and you know write Netflix off my taxes. I can expense that. <laughs> You were living, living the, dream. the dream. Yeah. Like, we had a guest who wrote a book about the history of Marvel comics and had to sit down and read. He had to sadly sit down and read like 30,000 comics or something or 3000. So as far as like the, with the advent of, of technology, like with the iPad and stuff like that, is your art style, do you still do you pen to paper or do you uh, I, move yeah. more towards like uh, drawing on iPad or anything like that? Well, in 2004 or five is when I started doing stuff like in magazines, um, specifically mm-hmm. like Nickelodeon, and they were recently transitioning to go like all digital. And when, yeah. when I the first time I went to their office, um, uh, my friend Dave showed me a drawer full of like beautifully hand colored comics that they were just never going to print. Yeah, because it was just so, such a hassle at that point mm-hmm. um, to do the like traditional like manual separating of colors yeah. for magazines. And so I, I, I kind of got in a good time where, um, and yeah, Dave, Dave Roman, who, uh, who worked at the magazine. Now he's got really, he's got really great books. Uh, Astronaut Academy is a two book series, maybe a third one coming out. That's incredible. He's a good friend, but he taught me how to color digitally mm-hmm. for specifically for print. And that's just like coloring under the black lines kind of thing. So if there's, you know, sometimes you see a, a a photo in the newspaper or a comic in the newspaper, and you can see the space between the black and the, the colors. Yeah. And it's the way to avoid all that. That's the most technical thing. I still draw and ink by hand and then scan and color digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know if I, I have a, I have a tablet and a stylus that I have never used and oh, yeah. I keep <laughs> to kind of check it out. But I, but you know, that, that there's a, definite kind of like starting over that I would have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, Got to wear that little glove on your hand. I don't know. It's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah. Cause I tried with our, our logo. It's one of the first things I tried to do digitally where I, I drew it and inked it. And then I didn't even scan it, even though I have a scanner, but I just to test it, I took a photo of it yeah. and then just and threw it in the Photoshop and start and just started working on it to just to kind of mess around with it. And I was like, Oh, well, it's just coming up pretty good like you know doing the, the coloring and the shading and stuff all through photoshop uh but yeah, yeah that's a really interesting direction that, it, that it's going in but uh yeah but i still like to to you know pin and paper it and then there's just, nothing like it you know yeah like the it doesn't feel there's a there's some new tablet where you actually draw on paper with your pen but it but it oh, really transfers it it's like a ring that you put on your pen or pencil oh and wow. so you still get the feel of it but at the same time it puts it up on your iPad or your, oh, I think they're getting amazing. a desktop version. So I think that would be like a good kind of way to get into it. But I, I like when you mentioned the, the phone thing, I do that a lot. If I've got mm-hmm. a little something that I have to like something that's quick or small yeah. or something to like fix something that I can't fix in Photoshop, I take mm-hmm. pictures with my phone all the time and then and then put it in a Photoshop and yeah, and it's still like a know, really high resolution. As someone who had like a passion for it, like, like Noel had said, I had illustrated a, a children's book as a work for hire. Uh, oh, like cool. 20 years ago and then you know got into it and then just continued drawing and stuff like that because it always drew as a child and then just you know life got in the way like having to become an adult and then like that my <laughs> the passion the passion for that kind of died down and like with noel and i yeah. working on, on this like i've had you know ideas of wanting to draw and I, I have a couple of works that i've done to coincide with our episodes that, that i'm still working on but then it just gets harder and harder with you know with work and stuff like that like how do you 
keep like the, the passion to, to keep doing something that you love like this and just not let other outside forces get in the way. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of been the guy who would rather be drawing than at a party yeah. and probably yeah. to a fault. And I'll probably regret that on my deathbed. But, um, <laughs> and I feel like I've always just had this thought in my head that I, it's like, in the end, am I going to wish I'd spent more time with these people like hovering over me all like with pity or what I wish like, Oh man, I could have got a few more pages in if I had, like just left that, like not gone to that party. You know, I don't know, but <laughs> right. I, I mean, it's just, for me, it's like finding that time. It's yeah, getting up at six and working until I have to go to my, my cause I have a day job now I moved out here for, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then getting home and, and doing it and and there's there's so much time where you realize like you're doing nothing and i i do that for sure and i i know that 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 downtime is important um i i I mean that's a constant struggle for me is balancing responsibilities and family and and that kind of work time because when your personal work isn't your full-time work you you know any free time you have that's not working and sleeping is like a choice you know yeah am i gonna sit here and draw or am i gonna like you know go out kind of thing working with um guests you know trying to book and then you know get the content ready and editing and doing all this stuff for this podcast has taught me about how important um you know every minute can be because there's definitely um that choice that you're talking about you have to make (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking uh, about, man. It's rough. It's rough, and that's and there's always that drive. I mean, right after, so like I, I worked this, I worked this sign shop, and then in Lubbock, and then you know I used to tell people all the time, don't move to you know, don't move to Austin. Like if you want to play music, live here and pay three hundred dollars a month in rent, and then just like tour six months a year. You go to Austin, like everybody's going to be competing and playing all the time, and and then I moved to Austin, and then you know I I, I give a lot of advice that I don't take myself but I, it, I i decided kind of at that point to like just not be an, an adult and i spent probably six or seven years just kind of just like painting and, and drawing and playing shows and i mean i feel that period's kind of a blur and i definitely wasted a lot of time but uh now it's I don't know. Now, now there's, there's more of a choice. Now there's like responsibilities that I have to kind of contend with. And, and, uh, I don't know. I think there, there's, there's more drive that can be found in that, in, in the pressure and, uh, like deadlines are great and hard choices are great. So, you know, it's, it's, it is a hard balance and a constant struggle for sure. I I think that's the description of what being an adult is, is not necessarily, that you've given up anything. It's just now you realize the navigating through those tough choices is really just the, the definition. Cause when I was a kid, I gave, I, I did a lot of goofy things and, and dedicated a lot more into music rather than making the, the small amount of time I, I had uh, a little bit more impactful. And so, yeah. um, you know, as an adult, you just get to kind of with a little bit of metered, sensibility you get to make a better decision about how to use that creative time and and it's it's fun i think i think honestly uh, i put more time into this than i than i actually put into the last you know part of being in music and and uh mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like i'm missing anything and my my wife might say something different but uh 
Um, <laughs> no, I no, I feel that for sure. I mean, there's better, <laughs> there's there's better time, and there's more time, and sometimes that sounded so stupid, but it's true. I mean, like there's there's quantity, there's quantity, and there's quality, and 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 if you've got like an, an hour where it's like this is my hour to work really hard on this, you know, no TV in a quiet place, you can get a lot more done in that kind of time than you could if you had all the time in the world on. You know, like a, like yesterday, I had a lot of free time to work and I didn't get a lot done. But you know, Monday morning, I'm going to be feeling the pressure of God. I got I got to get out the door and go to work. So yeah. like, we get as much like good stuff done before then as possible. So, yeah. Okay, so was, we, we do have. Uh, did you just have... get like kind of sad, guys? Are we... no, no, <laughs> well, no, we're going to lighten it up. I'm just Let's processing everything. <laughs> Uh, we, we're lamenting our future as adults. That's what's <laughs> happening. That's that always kills any fun time. So, um, but I we we do part of this uh, podcast is a bad movie podcast, and right. so what we do is we talk to uh, the guests. We want to know what is the worst movie you've ever seen. What uh, what movie <laughs> like have you bad, like, like just like bad bad or good bad? No bad bad. Yeah. Oh my god! What did I? Uh, and this is bad. This is hard for me because I hate you know I. I, I've had you know a, a bad some bad reviews, and so I I'm very aware <laughs> when I say something bad about somebody's work, like that's uh, that's a person. That's a, that's um, a good, I can I can understand that. I can. <laughs> that said, man, did I see a piece of? Oh, let me think. What is like something bad that I? I don't know. It's hard okay, for me because I like most movies. It's uh, it's kind of it's kind of man tough. after like, my own heart. I'm one of those guys. Yeah, it's like yeah, I, I can find something. I can find yeah. a like character or a story. I mean, I'm sure as soon as we end this, I'm gonna like like scream out something that I'm like, oh, that was a turd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we yeah, we tried to get some feedback. So some of the feedback we've gotten back was, um, what, what was that one? Uh, the well, someone had the, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What? That's yeah, a, one, of, one of our interviews. <laughs> Especially was it the first you know, one or the second one. I can't remember. I think it was the first one that he said it was the first one. Is yeah, so good. There was like they had nothing. They had like 15 feet of track for the cameras. They had a 115 <laughs> degree house that they shot in. Like right. there's there's yep. if you there's a really good doc about that about that movie where uh, they had a kid playing the old old old, old guy and uh-huh. they were supposed to shoot for like three days with him or something. But in the middle of the first day, he's like, "I'm not doing this again." Like we have right. to, you know. Like I I love stuff like that, and I and I know that like. I, I just think about the making of that movie must have been so like, yeah. incredible and scrappy and weird. You know, like we shoot for two seconds and then we have to stop and then move the track, you know, but like, <laughs> and then shoot another two seconds. So that whole like 20 minute segment of running in the woods screaming is that must, that would just probably took days of, right. and I don't know. That's, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think he was not coming from the perspective of like a of the creative <laughs> process, you know. He yeah, was probably coming from that. just like a, a re- you know, just a straight viewing, and was just like, "What am I watching?" Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I, could, I could probably feel the same way if I'd seen it. You know, and, and <laughs> I think both points are valid, though. I mean, there is a, even the worst. We, we you watch Star Crash, and that right. movie is for me. That's a tough one to watch, man. But you can tell that they. I mean, there was somebody's heart was in there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and but you know I, I, it wasn't my kind of movie, but you could tell they really somebody cared about it really passionately. Sure, but and, there I mean, and there's and, stuff like like uh, 
Starship Troopers, I think, is such an amazing movie, but then I, I couldn't get in. Like, I tried to watch, like, the sequels that they made, and it was, yeah. the, I don't even think the same people were behind. I, and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, and, right. <laughs> and, and I rarely stop movies, but, you know, Netflix definitely has a lot of stinkers on it that you can find that <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to, I got an hour and a half of this. I can't. Right. Right. Um, no, I'm with you. I, yeah. I, I think I've seen those movies, but I, I watched them in their entirety because there is a point where the remote is just too far it's, away. It's too far. That's fine. You know, and there's so many like, like uh blank of the dead movies that, yeah, and I probably love all of them. Um, but you know, I, <laughs> n- even knowing that something, it's like, okay, this is really bad. Oh, uh, yeah. and see, I, I just thought of one that I that I, I realized I thought was so bad, um, but I've seen it like two or three times. Um, Apocalypse LA, and I think they changed the title of it. And it's just kind of a generic, um, like comets or meteors crashing to the earth, and everyone's <laughs> getting sick and, and turning into zo- zombies. And it's just like a, a group of like LA dudes, like young actor kind of guys. <laughs> and it just felt like, I don't know, like it, it wasn't something that I feel like people could identify with if they're right. not like of that cloth. And, and it didn't seem like the effort was there. And there were mm-hmm. shots where you could tell like, okay, we could, we could do make like the makeup on this. Like we could spend all day on this or we could just like slap some, like foam rubber on your face and call it a day and we'll just like shoot wide, you know? And see, I'm already feeling really bad about <laughs> like talking about this with me. No, but see that, I think it's that says a lot about, about, you know, <laughs> you just completely 180. Um, I love it. One of my I like I like that because you know um, yeah I don't think about that I, I have this tendency to think that every film must prove its its goodness to me and uh, and like I have some kind of authority you know I'm not I'm just a, a hater, guy who yeah, just watches movie I'm totally a hater and 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 uh, that's what uh, uh, you know I I I forget you know a lot of times that there are some people that are are working through things and. Um, at the core of it, there was a human mind that wrote it and there was another person who saw the vision to put it on film. And then, you know, if you had somebody handling lighting, they wanted to light it a certain way. And each one of those people brings something specific to that. And, uh, and sometimes it's just a little bit too easy to take a step back and go like, well, it's all crap and dismiss it altogether. Like, so my, um, especially, oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say my, my brother-in-law has a, has a, a podcast and they do like a, a Twitch called um, behind the trailers and they, it's three guys and they talk about, they, sh- they watch movie trailers and then decide if they're going to like watch it or stream it or not see it. And, um, and it's, and it's pretty cool because they, they, they show, they watch a lot of trailers of, of stuff that I want to see, but they, they definitely share that, that same kind of like vibe that you have about movies where. Uh, they're like, you know, this just looks like hot garbage, and I'm like, no, man, this is like, I'll, I'll watch that. <laughs> <laughs> but see, yeah, but yeah, I, I have that also. I, that's part of the core of what we want to do here is we want to talk to people and find out the, you know, there, there are people that do, you know, books. There are people who are writing, and and some may be critically acclaimed, and some not. And and at the core of it, that these are people that are just, you know, you might actually have gone to school with. And sure. That you can kind of have an open mind whenever it comes to any project you come across. But and, you know what though, like um, it could be bad. I, I, I could see. Like I, I look at some stuff that, like stuff that I've done. I'm like, that's crap. Like that's not good. And if somebody <laughs> says it's not good, like I get it. And and so I'm maybe I should reanalyze how I 
how I feel about talking negatively about no. other people's work. Cause I've definitely, I've put some crap out there that I, that I shouldn't have or that I no, should, <laughs> should have been able to get out. So um, that's whatever. the nature Let's, of art, man. That's, that's art. But uh, yeah. so, okay. Okay. Well, so <laughs> what, uh, what things do you have coming up uh, that you want to promote? Yeah. Uh, well, my most recent book um, was from the fall of 2015 uh, called foul play. And it's a, a picture book in comic mm-hmm. format of um, a group of animals solving a mystery um, but in, in using idiom, like idioms the whole time and lots of misunderstandings that come with that. And there's a, a follow-up to that called Jumbo Shrimp that's a similar premise, but with uh, oxymorons. And um, so that's coming. I don't actually know when that's coming out, but I'm working on it now. And then I'm just, uh, it's kind of a weird downtime because books take so long to come out. Right. the traditional way so i wish i had something like you know next month blah. but um i mean I, I have a short stories that i put online about once a month um on medium and uh i think i guess that'd, that'd be the best thing to like kind of promote but my website is i am travisnichols.com and there's a link there to all my you know all of my book all the all, to, blah, 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 all of my books and then my writing on medium so that's probably the best uh, plug that I can offer. Uh, oh, no, that's great. That's perfect. We're going to put a link up onto the, our website. Sweet. Um, so you can come and, and check out Travis's stuff. Now, while I was doing research for this, uh, my daughter, Kyan, she's about 12 years old, was looking over my shoulder and saw the, uh, the monster doodle book, um, on the screen. And she was like, what is that? And so I was like, okay. <laughs> and so like, now I'm, I'm going to have to place an order for like, Pretty much all of your books because yes. kids, she got the other kids on there. So no, it was immediately. I mean, she immediately responded and was just like, "Sweet." I think there, there was, was one screen where you drew a picture of something that said, "Now draw an epic puke." An epic puke. That's, that that's been like a more popular. I I do like um like live shows uh from those books where I I I have big pieces like blown up from pages of that book and the other doodle book, monstrous fun, where you. Yeah it's like dry erase board style. So you, so I have markers and you can draw and that's the, the epic puke one is always pretty popular. Yeah. She for totally, all, you know, like five year olds drawing puke up to like, you know, 90 year olds. It was pretty cool to see her respond to something. She's yeah, in that age where she's like in between where everything is meh unless, it, unless it's like, um, attack on Titan or, you know, the full metal alchemist. <laughs> So it was oh, nice see. to see her into something that was not that. You so. had a cool kid though. That's that's great. You should. Uh, I, sh- I should point out that also monstrous fun is is uh, another like monster related doodle book. And there's actually some like uh, they're all monster holidays. Um, and there's crunchmas carols or crunch crunchmas carols, <laughs> I believe they're called. So there's lyrics and chord like guitar chords. So you can so you guys can do some uh, do some sing- singing and a strumming. That's awesome. Uh, so, you, so you get that one. Perfect. perfect. Fred, do you have any other questions? What's up, Fred? Oh, no, sorry. I was just uh, you, your website probably got a lot of hits from me over the last week, just because I've been, I've been <laughs> studying it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, my I guess my last question would be like, do you have any advice for anyone who's just trying to get into the the field of uh, uh, illustrating or? Uh, uh, well, I kind of. 
it's weird for me because I kind of came in sideways. For me, it was like it was music and then comics and self-publishing, yeah. mini comics, conventions, magazines, and then books. It was kind of a long road. And so when someone, you know, specifically is like, "I have a book idea. What should I do?" It's kind of mm-hmm. it's hard for me to recommend the traditional route of you know querying like agents because that's not really what I did. Um, yeah. But if I were starting today, I would just you know yeah do that stuff, but also just writing and drawing and putting stuff online is, is probably the best way to get. Yeah. Nowadays it's just, like, just put it online. Actually, that's, yeah. That's what I would do. And, and that's, and that's even what I'm doing now is, is trying to just like get a lot of stuff online and, and you know, build a, build a following yeah. either with like series or just a good steady stream of, of stuff. And, yeah. and I, and I've never, I mean, I put out like mini comics, like photocopies, but I've never self published, but those resources are, are there mm-hmm. and so available. And even though I kind of have a, a toe in the door of like traditional publishing, I'm still like, I'm starting to think about, you know, a couple of projects that my agent like doesn't want to pursue that maybe I wouldn't do anyway, which maybe is a bad idea. And I'm going to, you know, be sitting on a, a dozen boxes of books that are <laughs> yeah. bad ideas. But <laughs> you know, it, it, that's the thing. It's just like putting out stuff and, and it, it's a long process and you don't really want to you don't really want that like flash in the pan kind of thing either but you know there's a lot of books you go to like urban outfitters and there's a lot of books that were you know tumblers six months ago mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and then that's it yeah. that's it for right. that. uh, it it just it's gonna take a while that's that's the advice is like just, just do just it be, forever be ready <laughs> yeah. be ready to buckle down and just do it i, yeah. I like that I, I think that's that's been a common theme that we've been able to kind of get from that. Anyone who's had any kind of success has just been willing to just get out there and do it over and over again and, until over they, and over. And, that's awesome. and then it might never it might never be huge and, and, and there's no like final point either. I mean there's like milestones but there's no ultimate destination to it. You know, like guys who work at, at Pixar are still like are still like hustling to get like their ideas made into movies. And yeah. you know, there's, there's no like, well, I did it. I'm done right. now. You know? <laughs> Cause like, you, you, there's that mentality. Like, okay, you know what, man, if I, if I got in the NFL, I would play one year and then retire. But that's, that's the kind of attitude that right. would besides not have, you know, that I have no talent and athletic prowess. Like that's the attitude. That's not going to get you there. Right, you know, yeah. you're not going to get the NFL if you're like, I'm just going to do this for a year. Right, it's it's years of wanting it and fighting for it, and that's like, oh, this is all I want to do. And right. yeah. that's the that's, worst, that's right? Awesome. I mean, if only there was like a good shortcut. You know, I I mean, I guess there is like have a cool Tumblr that people like, and then you'll get a book <laughs> deal, with, and it'll yeah, be yeah, you're going to have your Urban Outfitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like here's my book of animals smelling flowers. <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm sure that one's gonna stay on the new york times bestseller list you know it's it's nice to look at uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh really sweet <laughs> i need to write a good a good kitten picture book Those you do cool. that's that's what it is you know like get that one get that pay the bills and then write your your sci-fi opera and <laughs> that's right we have <laughs> your passion have, project you know, we have, yeah, we we surround ourselves with artists to see what we can all come up with. Everybody's got a good idea once an episode, so yeah, um, 
Travis, uh, I, we we really appreciate you being on the show today. It, it's been uh, it's been awesome talking to you because there's a lot of really good information in there, and I think you have a different uh, a different play. Whereas everyone else we we talked to kind of went directly into it from a school kind of uh, an, an academic approach to everything, and then they kind of networked in. You went really the the hardcore underground. You went and and worked hard from the get-go of presenting and creating and then and it just managed to to work into some real opportunities for you and that that is key you know i'm sure there are some kids out there right now that have this passion and they have talent but they don't know what to do with it and it's good to hear that it can get you somewhere you know that you can actually create and do and have a body of work that can be represented and uh we thank you enough for spending some time and sharing us uh, with us what you have uh, well, yeah, man, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, no, thank uh, you. Up, you know, up the punks or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, let's, uh, fight DIY. I don't know. Like, what, what did we used to say back in the, back in the spiky bracelet days of our youths? Oh, man. Oi, oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. That's, 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 that's all I remember, man. I, I drank a lot more back then, so, um, <laughs> But thank you again, Travis. We appreciate yeah, it. You guys. I appreciate you know, it. We'll, we'll put some links on. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you want to check out some of Travis's stuff, please go to our website. We're going to have a link to his page. Uh, there are some bookstores where you can pick up some of his books available. I think I saw some at Barnes and Noble. Uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> online is probably the best. In, okay. Search yeah, online. We can probably get you there. Um, okay. but, we'll, get so, your local, we'll get your local bookstore to carry my stuff. That's, that's an easy thing to do. Just request it. Yeah. Go get it. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and um, thank you very much, Travis. We will catch you on the flip side. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having Travis. Me. Know your monster by some of the following physical characteristics. Thick fur or scales. Sharp claws and teeth. Or other attributes in various combinations. Sometimes a monster may appear as a gelatinous blob or some sort of mutated bird or serpent or forest animal. Have you ever worked on your computer and thought, that's weird? Where did this part come from? Are you tired of your computer crashing? Because your roommate won't stop watching videos of strangers consummating their friendship? Forever unclean. Does your computer run like I do? Dang it, man. Pretend there's a cupcake at the finish line. Do your children run while holding your electronics? Whee! I'm okay. Well, my friend, sounds like you might need the computer service experts at Jabberwocky Custom Computers. They are the repair experts for laptops, desktops, and even tablets. Jabberwocky can also build you a custom computer to cover your gaming or home and office needs. We're talking some custom gear at competitive prices. Mention this ad from the Mexibro Movie Show for a 5% discount, up to $100 for any service or purchase. Good until October 31st, 2016. If you need an expert, call Todd at 806-239-7598 or drop by their shop at 4630 50th Street, Suite 109A. For a full catalog of products and services, visit them at facebook.com forward slash Jabberwocky Computers. Tell them 
the Mexi Bros sent you. Hey, 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 this is Uncle Rob with the Hot Mexican Minute. There's only one rule here, baby. You don't talk about Mel Gibson, anything he ever wrote, directed, or had any part of us. As long as we got that straight, we'll have no problems. This is a Hot Mexican Minute with Uncle Rob. I don't want your daughters, but I do want your mama. I'm just here to criticize the movie the way I feel about it. If you don't like it, f*** you. This week we did Congo, where you're the endangered species, puto. Uh, directed by Frank Marshall. Written by Michael Crab the f***. This movie we starred Laura Linney as Karen. Tim Curry as Mr. Mocha. Sounds like a coffee. I love him. I want to taste him. Oh, yeah, yeah, And my favorite actor in the movie, Ernie Hudson. You all know him from Ghostbusters. We love him. Joe Don Baker from The Hibbillies R Us. <laughs> and also starring The Monk. Okay, the myth of the killer ape. Uh... I believe it. If we all came from monkeys, we kill each other every day, so why not? So, beginning of the movie. Started out great. Guy from the Evil Dead with the chainsaw, killing for cutting his own hand off. great. And then he dies. Well, you know, that's the first decline in the movie. You know, you don't kill somebody off like that that quick and then leave subpar actors to clean that shit up. It's just terrible. So, the monkey comes up to the, the expedition guy that is helping to get through and she takes a cigarette. You know, it's just like, it's, it's life. It's, it's human nature, you know what I mean? They give you the plant. You want to smoke it. We just do what we do. Well, one of my favorite parts of the movie was, okay, so the general's sitting there, and he's uh, from South Africa, or where the f*** he's from. He's in Africa somewhere, and he's just this dictator-type, you know, guy, and he's like, he knows the guy's full of shit. He knows why he's there. He knows he's a thief, and he's like, quit eating my sesame seed cake and the guy stops chewing <laughs> but he's not done with it he's not satisfied with it. quit eating my sesame seed cake and the motherfucker spits it back into his hand <laughs> that's beautiful because i'll tell you why either that guy's that much of a badass or that guy's that much of a fucking coward to do it either way it works for me <laughs> tim clue all right let me tell you about tim clue Number one, probably the worst acting I've ever seen out of him in my whole life. The accent was all fucked up. And he played this pathetic fucking motherfucker looking for these diamonds. He finally got him, got his ass fucked off. Probably the worst acting I've ever seen out of this guy. But maybe he wasn't the main actor. Maybe he was the plucky comic relief on this movie. But needless to say, it was still just a bad part. It was just a bad part for him. And he just didn't pull it off. And, uh. He probably got what he deserved in the movie. Yeah, well, they get to the city of Zinj, the mythical or King Solomon's Mines, whatever it is. You know, they get there, and the assistant gets killed. But this is not, this. okay, the assistant gets killed because he's a dumbass. But everybody's a dumbass. You got to understand this. They asked this guy to read the hieroglyphics. And, of course, like I said, bad, bad acting by the man. But he tells him it's the same hieroglyphics written over and over again. We are watching you. Nobody's ever been there. Nobody's ever come back from it. But you're going to be the dumbass that goes in there and just, you're going to be another victim? It's like the haunted house. You know, when you go into the haunted house and you hear the voice that says, get out. You get the f*** out. You don't stay there. You know what I'm saying? That's the lost city. That's in. Like there. Don't stay. It's f***. You're just done. 
Okay, let's talk about Peter. Peter is in his rarest form, the biggest I've ever seen. But this guy has zero part in the whole movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna free this gorilla. It's like he has a romance with this gorilla that he's not fucking. And it, it, his it, his whole thing is like, well, I'm freeing this gorilla and I, I want to be the good guy. Blah, blah blah. But it's just the whole way through. It's just like one thing after another with this guy. And he's just I don't even I don't even know how you write his part into this. With the exception that the gorilla that, ha- that, that does sign language has a bigger acting part than him. He's a waste of space. And it, it, it's pathetic. I mean, in this, I think the gorilla has more lines with her sign language. Bad gorilla. Love Amy. Mother. All that shit. She has a bigger part than he does. He's just a waste of space, dude. Shouldn't even been in the fucking movie. Well, Tim Clue. You gotta admire this guy. I mean, uh... Treasure hunter looking for, you know, the ultimate goal, which is what we all look for in life. We all want to win at the end, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, this movie's a direct result of that. Sometimes, you know, you think you're going the right way and you think you're going to win and then you just get fucked in the end. And we all know that, my listeners, about getting fucked in the end. Laura Linney, uh, her character, I don't know what the fuck she's after, you know, because the whole movie, she's like, I'm trying to find this guy, I'm trying to find this guy, and then there's a little romance with the other fucking dumb fuck. And then she's just there. Now they're fighting off gorillas. They're fighting off fucking gorillas. And I'm not talking about the gorilla with the glove that fucking talks. I'm talking about the goddamn gorillas in the jungle. You know, the armies or whatever. And they jump out of the plane. They do all this shit. And they go through all of it. And her character is fucking minuscule too. It's just fucking stupid. I mean, I guess her best line in the homie was, Put them on the endangered species list. And that was like her whole fucking thing. And uh, I think... The people that died along the way were probably more important than she was. And, you know, towards the end of it, you know, if I ever thought that you were going to do this more for my, for your son or my ex-fiance, well, how much did she really love the cocksucker? She didn't marry him. Joe Don Baker. Now, let's, let's say that again. Joe Don Baker. That name should be like porn star because I love it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? If I was going to be a porn star, I would be Joe Don Baker. You know what I'm saying? Joe Common name, Don, Big Schlong, Baker, because I'm keeping that shit hot. You know what I'm saying? I want to be Joe Don Baker right now. But anyway, uh, angry man, money, lust, hungry, all that fucking shit. I mean, we love him for it. You know what I'm saying? I love, that's probably my favorite character in the whole movie. Because at least he wasn't fake. He's like, fuck my son. I want the fucking money. Machine Gun Battle with the Monkeys. Uh, I think the Monkeys won. Because, you know... There's these people just shooting in and the sensors are going and they're testing the lines or whatever and they're just blowing all kinds of ammo. And you never see one monkey fall. So I'll chalk it up for the home team. Monkeys win. The volcano. Well, you know what? This, the volcano is probably the best part of the movie. Every movie needs an epic end. I mean, we need something that's going to wow us, especially after an hour and a half of fucking bullshit. Volcano was probably the best part of the movie. It exploded. The monkeys were diving into the lava. They didn't know what was going And that was a true... Okay, look. That's a true prediction of the movie. These are designed white apes, designed to kill, designed to predict diamonds. They're smart enough to kill you. They're smart enough to keep the diamonds from you. They're smart enough to live through all the ages. But these dumb motherfuckers don't know how to not drop into a fucking vat of molten lava. I mean, goddamn, we should get some better writers on this shit. And I love the guy that wrote this shit. What the fuck was his name? Michael Cratton 
also wrote Jurassic Park, but I know he did Jurassic Park way after he did this. So kudos, bro, for doing a little better on the second half because he sucked on the first one. The laser gun. Oh, I love the laser gun because I am a Trekkie. I'm a sci-fi Star Wars shoot 'em up Han Solo Chewbacca fuck you in the ass motherfucker. That's what I do. I love that. Shit. Come on, we gotta go all the way to Africa with motherfucking white killer ape gorillas, right? To get the perfect size diamond. Oh, and never mind you, you find that perfect diamond while you're at the brink of death. Oh, it's just so convenient. I love movies when they're that convenient. And then you find this shit, and then all of a sudden it works. Man, don't we love a happy ending? I love it. I love it. But this didn't work in this movie. I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. Uh, the key characters, Ghostbuster guy lives, which I love very much. I love the Ghostbusters. The half-ass hot white chick lives. She lives too. And then the curly head. And that's how much I care about these actors. I just don't know their names. I don't want to know their names. And that's what it is, but get back to Gorilla. This is all about animal instinct, okay? Amy, good gorilla. Good gorilla wanted to go with big gorilla to get the big gorilla. You know what I'm talking about? And he had three other females beside him. He's like, Amy, go with big gorilla. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. You know what? I liked it more when I saw it in the 90s when I was a young man. I thought it was great. But adolescence is blind, and you love what you want to love when you're that young. And you get older, and you you see the bull for what it is. Where I recommend this movie to anybody, I recommend this movie to everybody. But I do that for every movie I do too. I want everybody to watch every movie I criticize. Let me tell you something about movies. Sometimes they grab you. Sometimes they make you cry. Sometimes they make you love. Sometimes they pull that something in you that's deep inside you, and they make you realize something about you that. You didn't know. Every once in a while, they'll make you feel warm. They'll make you feel comfortable. And then, but that's the beauty of movies. Because for once, or for even one instance in our life, through these people or through these villains or heroes, you can become the person you always wanted to be. I love these movies. Every movie has that one moment that takes your breath away. It's a hot Mexican minute with Uncle Rob. I play hard, I love hard, I drink hard. And the world's my f***ing ashtray. Hello, everybody. We are back. And uh, this is a segment that we lovingly call... Fred and the whale in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, man, there was a lot of stuff that's gone on. It's It's been a really strange... Uh, Month. It's usually March has been kind of like that big one. Uh, and then there's like lots of weird stuff that you would see snuck in, but this month was relatively quiet. And I want to say it's because nobody wanted to battle with Superman versus Batman. Oh, you said it backwards. I mean, well, you got the hat, you got the hashtag wrong. (laughs) That's why none of my, my topics have been trending. I know. I'm a little dyslexic from time to time. You'll come to know that. Accept it. It's fine. But uh, um, so now the movie that has just come out, you actually went and got, uh, went to go see it. Uh, I, I have not yet because I am. Uh, I did it for the podcast. I just don't want to poo-poo everything that you know <laughs> that I love. Yeah, 
Yeah, sometimes it just got to hold back. <laughs> I thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> it probably would have been a, diff- a different segment had you seen it. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what do you what do you think? What do you think? About- uh, I I love it. When I saw it, I only liked it. But then, like uh, after a couple of days away from it, like it's, I was like, that, that's all that's really been on my mind is is just that movie. Uh, which is, which is like, it's, it's hard for, to say that with a lot of movies where it's just like, I watch it and I'm just like, oh man, I think about this, the, the movie for the rest of the weekend. Like I did with like Jurassic world, uh, or like Captain America, the winter soldier and stuff like that. Um, I, I liked it. I agree with what a lot of the people are, are saying about it. Uh, uh, has no real character development for a movie. That's like two and a half hours long. Like they didn't take the time to develop any character. Wow. Uh, and it has like really odd pacing and like sequences that take place without any explanation that you're just supposed to just go with, or people are just confused. We're just like, does this, is this taking place in the same movie or in the same universe? I'm like, oh, okay. Some of the things that I've heard is that it, uh, that it's dull. Like it's surprisingly dull for, uh, for a- I don't understand. I, I can see that. If, if you're rewatching it, but I, I don't understand, like for the, for your, the initial watching of it, like everything's new to you. So you're just like, like Oh man, what's going on here? What's going on here? Um, but yeah, I mean, I can, like, I can see rewatching it. Like I was telling you earlier, like I probably won't watch it. It's going to be hard to rewatch it again because there's no real scenes where you're just like, I was like, Oh man, I want to see it for, for this, uh, conversation scene or this other conversation scene did you uh, i mean did you feel like it, like once you unpacked it and i mean did you, did you feel like you had to revisit it so you could get the idea or what some things you might have missed or was it pretty <clears throat> straightforward uh yes to both <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's not straight like what I, like what i was explaining earlier uh, before we start before the mics went hot uh, as far as like the audience for this movie it's either like people that know that only know these characters from like other forms of media besides comic books, like just from other movies. Like I'll be really, it wouldn't really surprise me if people thought that this, that this Batman was supposed to be the Batman from Christopher Nolan's movies. Just like, Oh, this is that Batman. Even I mean, it, even though it, it doesn't play like that at all, but I'm sure like people go into that thinking it, not knowing that, you know, they're just redoing their, they're trying to catch up to Marvel with their universe. But essentially it's like the audience is just either people that are really, really not into comics or anything like that. They're only into just like seeing Batman and Superman action or like people that are like really, really, really deep in the comics because that, that's what it was catering to. There's no like happy medium uh, for the audience. Like it's either really big comic book nerds or really dumb people. <laughs> well, so, you know, and, and that being said, I, I, I read that DC is trying to switch everything and, and kind of move a lot of the uh, comic book universe more into the cinematic universe. So they're kind of... Um, making those two things correlate a little better. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the, the comic books are going to move more towards their cinematic universe because like, uh, like DC is about to relaunch their whole comic book line again, like later in the summer with, you know, all new number ones and stuff like that and relaunch the, they're not really relaunching the universe, but they're doing some big event that's supposed to, for, from the looks of it, cause there was like a panel at WonderCon this weekend, uh, with the DC comics and like how they're, you know, the, this big rebirth event is going down and looking at some of the care, the, the, the costume designs and stuff like that. Uh, it looks like it might be moving more towards that. Not like they're like their comic book universe is going to be a representation of the movie universe, but they're, I guess they're trying to make it more 
where like people who like the movies would go to the comics and then just like all the hardcore comics fans are just like you're ruining my universe which they already did like five years ago when they relaunched it all over again then generationally everybody kind of goes through that at some point it's just a matter of of when you know yeah. so um I don't know. Pretty cool. I mean, was there anything that you wanted people to particularly look for or something that stood out? Uh, Yeah. What stood out for me was like, I wished I hadn't watched that last uh, trailer that they released where they had like 30 seconds of like Batman just beating the shit out of (laughs) like, like, like bad guys in a, in a warehouse. And I was like, that is fucking awesome. Like, like if, like if that's what they fucking put in the trailer, like that movie is going to be awesome. And then like, I'm sitting in the theater just waiting for that scene. Like there, there's no, there's no structure like a regular movie, like even like a regular, just to call it like, like just a regular action movie. There's no action movie structure to it. Like you think there'll be a scene where, uh, you know, where they introduce, you know, this the new hero the new uh batman to this universe and you don't really see any kind of development like that until way later in the movie like there's no like in the the 89 batman there's that you know they introduce him fairly early on when he rescues where he doesn't even rescue them like a, a family gets mugged in the street and then like he beats up the muggers and does that whole i'm batman scene at there within like the first five minutes there's nothing like that in this movie to introduce you to this new Ben Affleck Batman. Although when he is when he is introduced, it's pretty cool, but it's only like a few seconds. But it's a pretty cool few seconds. I don't know. Like I wish there had been more uh, development of, of any of these characters. Right. Uh, like I really thought it was going to be a heavy Batman movie, and that kind of made me afraid that you know, like oh, they're only going to focus on that because they know Batman's the bread and butter of of the comics and and of like what people <clears throat> the you know the fans are really like, even like just like the movie fans from like, the Nolan movies. And then, like, Superman, like, nobody's, like, a huge fan of, of that character. And I was like, oh, man, and I felt bad for, like, Henry Cavill, the guy who plays Superman. I was like, man, this is a guy who, like, built this universe on, like, doing the first movie. And now, like, Ben Affleck's coming in, and they're going to focus everything on him. Hey, man, that, Ar- I don't th- Argo was kind of a good movie, so, you know. I love Argo, yeah. But but that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't the case, though. Like, it was def- it was a Superman movie. No, was it really? Yeah, oh. I, I would say so. I would say, I would definitely say so. Wow, I didn't expect that. Uh, well, that. Yeah, the trailers are extremely misleading on lots of points. <laughs> wow. Like, they tried to trick people by going, like, this is going to be fucking Batman's movie. Well, he like, coming up, uh, Ben Affleck is going to be directing his own uh, Batman movie, right? I mean, that's... That's something. Uh, yeah, they, yeah. They announced like they announced it months ago, and then they're like they kind of stepped away from it, and then like I guess a few days ago he announced that he was he's working on a project with Jeff Johns, who's the CCO at DC Comics. He's a really awesome writer, which that makes me feel a lot a lot better about it. Not that I was concerned that Ben Affleck wouldn't do good, just because I know he's a fan of the material, and and I actually think he's a, he's a good director for an actor turned director. Uh, but now that you know that he's working with with Jeff Johns, who I'm a huge, like he's, he's like my comics, Ben Affleck. Nice. And to have, to have those guys put together, I'm just like, this will be pretty damn good. Well, that could be cool. So what else are you into? I mean, I, I, I assume that we can move on. You, you liked it. Not, you I mean, you thought it was good. Uh, I, I liked it. Uh, I didn't, I liked it. I love it. I don't know how much I love it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I definitely, uh, have love for this film. Word, word. Uh, Let's see. So, what what, new, what new Kickstarter have you contributed to this week? <laughs> uh, you know, that's fucked up because there actually is one, <laughs> and I was actually debating whether uh, I actually was debating whether to bring it up on the show or not. Uh, but, yeah, but this is actually pretty cool. Okay, uh, and there's still nine days to go on this, so I don't know what the turnaround time on this episode will be. We'll probably uh, have it out by the the end of the month, I think. 
Okay. Uh, but it's uh, the, the Rocket Book Wave Cloud Connected Microwavable Notebook. What? Yeah, this is fucking pretty awesome. And I, I actually, um, when we were talking uh, on our interview about uh, the process of like uh, drawing with uh, digital media versus uh, pen and paper and stuff like that. Right. And uh, it was brought up about a pen uh, that you plug in and you can uh, draw on it, uh, draw on regular paper, and it captures like the pencil strokes and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was pretty cool. This is something kind of similar to it, but a lot cheaper. Because I think that pen is like two hundred or three hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this book, it's a regular, it's a notebook that uh, you use like a special uh, pen that you can get at, at any office supply store. I think it's like a big pen or something like that. Uh, and they've already done one wave of this notebook before, so it's already been tested and it works and stuff like that. And they're doing a second wave of it in, on Kickstarter. But essentially, uh, you, you do you know make your notes or your draw on the this notebook, and uh, it has that uh, barcode on the bottom. And it has a series of uh, special symbols along the bottom uh, that you can assign to different uh, cloud services like iCloud or uh, Google Drive or your email and stuff like that. And uh, when you have like all your notes written, if you need to save it, you put a, an X over that symbol that, that corresponds to whatever service you want it to go to. Yes. And then it, with the app, you take a picture uh, of that page and uh, it only takes a an image uh, from corner to corner of, of just that page. So like no background stuff like the table or whatever that was in the background gets captured and it, it just sends that page to like whatever service you want. So if I was drawing something, uh, I could just save that page and send it and I wouldn't have to like scan it in or anything like that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, that's pretty cool. And then like when you fill up the notebook, you don't, um, you, you can actually put this notebook in the microwave with a cup of water on top of it and microwave it for a few minutes and it erases everything from the notebook. Whoa. Yeah. As long as you're using that special pen, so it's which, like, is, which isn't super expensive. And I think when you do the Kickstarter, like whatever, however many notebooks you buy come with that many pens. That's pretty cool. So you, you can like, how many uses would you be able to get out of it before? It's uh, like- I think they say you can get like 10 uses out of it. All right, so artists that are out there that are listening to this, you know, keep your eye out for the what's it called? The Rocket Book Wave Cloud Connected Microwavable Notebook by Rocket Book. That is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I mean, just go for Rocket Book. Uh, that's like the only thing on there. Uh, it's like twenty seven dollars uh, for one notebook and one pen. And there's two sides. It's the same price for both for both sizes. Uh, there's the regular notebook size, eight and a half by 11. And then there's the legal size, the smaller size. Uh, and it's 27 for each one. And you get one black Frixion pin that comes with, and you can buy those at like office supply stores, but like forever, you have a one pack, a two pack, a three pack, you can order up to like 50 at once for like a thousand dollars, or you can buy one for 27. So I'm doing the one for 27. Oh, that, that actually seems like that should improve the turnaround for the artwork that comes from the website, right? Uh, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Well, that, that's, that's the tricky thing. Cause I'd have to draw everything in pin. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I, I don't know how well it works with like pencil. Like hopefully, because it's a special type of paper. So I don't know if I draw with pencil, if it'll, if the erase mark. Because there, they say there will be some ghost imaging. Like when you microwave it, mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't totally erase anything, but the ghost imaging won't show up when you take the picture mm-hmm. and scan. Uh, only, only the ink shows up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that was pretty cool. That that actually that's a first uh, technology breakthrough that we've had on the Mexi Bro Movie Show. <laughs> yeah, no, every, so, everything, everything. This has been the tech alert with the Mexi Bro Movie Show. Yeah, now we can be on uh, CNET. Yeah, we can, we can, we can, we can link to them. Actually, we're we're pretty excited because uh, the the actual true first 
Make Bro Movie Show uh, technological breakthrough was that we are now on iTunes and soon to be. I, yeah. I think we're working on a, a SoundCloud and yeah. a and Time, some uh, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, yeah, uh, some other services that like some other guys around here use. And I'm trying to get us on that, and I always forget the names of those, but I have them written down somewhere. But we'll be there, and when we're when we are, I'll post it. Mexi Bro Movie Show on the move. So we we actually have a you know a, this kind of loosely based group of podcasts that we work with called Potter and Family, and occasionally we'll put a blast out on Twitter. Uh, when they release a new episode, uh, you might check out some of our, uh, some of our, our cousins, our, our podcasting cousins podcasts <laughs> when, whenever, uh, Fred posts it out. Um, th- they certainly help us out in getting, uh, new listenership. So, uh, when you see a blast like that, you might, you might just go over, at least check out their Facebook page, see if it might be something you're into. So, um, uh, as far as the media can look at for me, what, what am I into this? We, we of course, uh, have done a couple things. I went to go see the Cloverfield movie. Um, oh, did that you? we talked about, yeah, and it was uh, it was actually pretty good. I would I have I have to say I was really impressed because uh, it just goes to show you again that when J.J. Abrams's crew really cares about a project, <laughs> they can do a fantastic bang up job. Uh, and whenever they just do it for a paycheck, i.e., Star Trek, it is terrible. So all the more reason that I hate him uh, personally, J.J. Abrams. I really do. <laughs> You. But, you know, no, I was really impressed for it because a lot of it takes place in just one uh, set. So you you really have to, they have to rely more on character development and the yeah. acting skills. And the story has to be set up in a way that has, that, that doesn't make you bored from staring at this, almost the same four walls, yeah. you know, over and over again. And they, and the story itself, and again, I don't want to put any spoilers because while the film hasn't been, you know, knocking things out of the park, uh, I have a feeling that, you know, they're a lot, it's a sleeper hit, you know, people are going to really enjoy it in the long term. Um, I, I think that, uh, that John Goodman is probably one of the greatest actors of our time. <laughs> yeah. I, I think he's just probably, I, I don't know. I just can't say enough about the way his performance made you, uh, hate and love him and hate him and love him over and over again. You're just like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and it's, it's definitely a movie that I would recommend. It is not a found footage movie like the original Cloverfield. So you will not get motion sickness or require <laughs> Dramamine to keep you uh, <laughs> on it. I really did enjoy it. My wife really did enjoy it. Um, you know, and, and we come, uh, we don't have altogether different backgrounds for watching movies but she likes things that have a little bit more emotional connection and i like things that have explode em ups and 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 you know all kinds of dramatic twists and turns and and there was enough in there for both of us so i mean we really did walk out of that movie going yeah we need really? to watch there's, ex- there's explosions and stuff um well i mean you'll i don't i can't really say much you have to watch it because uh uh it's 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 definitely worth watching and it'll, it'll make is it, you, you know, is it like batman v superman where they save the bat explosions for the end um yeah i guess and again i'm not going to spoil anything i i think that you would be um at the very least intrigued and you're like man i got my eight bucks worth or whatever so. <laughs> nice i have to check it out i completely forgot that that movie had come out yeah no no it's definitely you you've got to go see it now uh the other thing that we i think we both were watching this uh, uh of course daredevil dropped season two 
Yeah. I've been, uh, I, I, I'm not completely finished with it. I've had a lot of uh, yeah. other things. Real life has been beckoning me, so I can't, <laughs> I can't binge watch stuff. Um, I like the new season, man. I really do. It, I, I think that you can, you can tell that they had to change, uh, some of the writing staff, I guess. It doesn't have as much heart, but I, I think that we're not establishing the character in, as much anymore. Like we're actually getting into the, the, getting into Bloom, so to speak, where he's going to go at least in the TV series. So, uh, you don't have that same struggle that you had in season one, but I, I still think it's good. They have the, the addition of the Punisher as a character. Uh, yeah. and, and I, I thought I would not like him, uh, at first because of the, the actor portraying him. I, I'm yeah. really not a, I, what's his name? Like John Barenthal, I believe. Yeah. John Barenthal yeah, from, you know, the walking dead. He, he played a yeah. Shane and I'd never really quite liked that guy. And I hear he's like kind of an asshole in real life too. You know, even his character had some, had some, a little bit more range than what we've seen. And, yeah. uh, and it was refreshing to hear him talk without that Southern accent. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I dug it also. Uh, I was afraid it was going to be an all Punisher, uh, season, which I mean, it kind of is and it kind of isn't. I mean, there's still a lot of daredevil mm-hmm. stuff and I like the, uh, uh, the, the way you have to watch it, like that whole, you know, having to binge watch it and stuff like that. So there's a lot more time for uh, development. Like, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me that, you know, there's whole scenes or even like whole episodes of just like, con- like the court cases and stuff mm-hmm. like that, because that's all really interesting. Right. Uh, uh, and it, it, it's really cool. And they introduce uh, Electra in this season. Who, right annoyed the the shit out of me like i, I hated that character and, and i don't mean in a, in a bad way like he's like oh they picked the wrong person to play that character or, or oh she was played horribly well like she was so believable to me oh yeah as being <laughs> a, a see a fight like like pain in the ass like i i hate like i hated this version of electra but not for any reason other than like i truly believed in, the, in that character the character because yeah. oh yeah 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 so i've known i've known some electra's uh, especially in my twenties where it's just like, you know, someone is just like, Oh, let me take your focus, your attention away from, from the important stuff in your life. And let's go be goofy and, and all that crap. And I was just like the whole time I'm watching like the, those early episodes with her in it, I'm just like, come on, Matt. I'm just like, you've got a big case in the morning. You've got some shit to do, man. You've got some important shit to do. <laughs> right. I've been like, you can't, you can't have Noel foggy Nelson yeah. picking up your slack at work. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. So I hated, I, I felt like I was going to be like one of those, uh, uh, those like, uh, housewives, like in the eighties that believe the soap opera characters are real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That they get like I thought like if like I I've, my hatred for this electric character like goes to the actress as well like if I ever like met her like at a con or something like that and I was like you really fucked up Matt Murdock's life yeah right <laughs> well kudos to her because she really played that believably I, oh, yeah. I just I'm just happy that Electra is someone you know because I Electra is supposed to be that attractive socialite kind of yeah. you know her she has that dual life where one is uh uh, you know, her own justice. And then, then, then the, almost like in the way Bruce Wayne was supposed to be like this vapid, yeah, wealthy, uh, I, w- I would say the closest thing I could put would be, what's her name? Uh, um, Paris Hilton. Yeah. Mean, like, so. yeah. So like, so like she played that super well and stuff. And I, and I, um, I, I've got to say that, that Jennifer Garner never really yeah. drove that home. And, uh, and this character did, 
And I don't know if that, for some reason, that, that made me, made it seem more attractive. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you got Jennifer Garner stuck in my head in that horrible performance. That, um, that was, uh, yeah, that Daredevil and that Electra. We can just, we'll put that to the side. We might actually watch that for a bad movie podcast version. So, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, the director's cut, <laughs> which I, which I own that one too. You own the director's cut of that? Yeah. That's it's actually pretty good. It, it, it's pretty good because it adds a little bit more of the, uh, Matt Murdock, Foggy Nelson relationship because there's more Ben Affleck, Jan, uh, John Favreau, uh-huh. uh, court action in that where they're actually like solving a crime like detectives. Oh, wow. Uh. Which is actually more interesting. And it, and it cuts out. A, a small piece of Jennifer Garner's performance that was in the theatrical version that I hated so much. It, it's like a one second, like not even a, a second. And they, and they cut that one second out of the, the director's cut. And I was just like, you know what, for that, thank you, Mark Steven Johnson. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the other thing that I'm into uh, is uh, this documentary from, from Netflix that uh, it's about <laughs> the, uh, about the amazing Randy. Uh, it's an, uh, it's called An Honest Liar. Uh, it, it actually, I think is, as we're recording this, it's premiering on PBS tonight, but it's already been on Netflix for a little while. And it, it just discusses, um, the history and the life of, of the amazing Randy, a magician, a mentalist, or, you know, he, he started his career in the beginning and, and he, he decided that he did not really want to be the traditional magician because of, of the amount of, of belief that he felt like he was stealing from, uh, the audience. And so he wanted to kind of change, uh, what he did and, and eventually decided to go after pretty much charlatan. So if you were a faith healer in the, in the eighties and the seventies, or if you were a, a psychic who was charging people like lots of money, uh, then he would go and, and pretty much follow you around and, and, and expose everything that they did. So he would, there was one, uh, one scene where he's with, uh, Barbara Walters and she's talking about, um, Uri Geller, oh, yeah. uh, the, the guy with the spoon bending and stuff. And she's yeah. like, this is my house key. And Uri came by and he just touched it and it bent. What do you say to that? And, and, uh, and, so the amazing Randy picks up the, the other key that has on the ring and he starts doing the same thing and he bends that one in front of her. And she's just like, you can see in her face where she's just like, God damn it. <laughs> she's like, I thought I had him. But it's, it's like pretty amazing to see how he, how he, uh, he doesn't call anyone a fake or a liar. He just says, Hey, look, you know, I am a magician and my job has been to suspend your belief in that if you, even as an educated, intelligent person, uh, are viewing what I'm doing, I, my job is to use that, uh, intelligence and that, that, that slight hubris that might come with that, you know, that says, well, nobody can pull the wool over my eyes. That is where I operate. You know, that is the, that is what I need to be able to get in there and, and do something that you didn't see coming and can't explain. And then all of a sudden I can make you doubt everything that you, you see and believe. And I mean, it is an amazing story and it, it ends up transitioning into this, this, uh, like a really heartfelt love story. Like I, I didn't realize that he was, he was gay and that he had a, he had a, 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 a guy that lived with him and, and you see how their relationship had started and, and how they had, had, uh, uh, come together and how they were f- together for 25 years. And, and it, it's really heartwarming. And 
I, I, it was it was just a side because he always came across as kind of like an old curmudgeon to me. <laughs> like he didn't really stand out as like this dude that had ever known <laughs> like like love. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it and it turns out that he did. He was just very private about it. I guess like he grew up in Hollywood during the time that where you could not be openly gay and and it, yeah. it was kind of a um it was it was kind of cool. It was a neat little revelation to see that that part of his personal life and and that he shared that with everybody. So um and there's some, there's even some drama that's twisted into that. So, I mean, there, there's a really cool, I'm just all in all, it's one of the better documentaries about somebody that I've ever seen. I would definitely recommend anyone to watch it, uh, because it is, it's just amazing. I mean, it's a really good show. I, I just, uh, uh, I was really impressed. So, uh, it's called An Honest Liar. It is available on Netflix. If you're able to time travel to the day that we record this. <laughs> Uh, you can watch it on PBS. I'm sure it'll be on there on uh, on demand oh. if you don't have Netflix. So, cool. yeah, check it out. I was just looking at it. Man. He's got a lot of books on. <laughs> he yeah. did. He did a whole book on Yuri Geller. Um, yeah, so the truth about Yuri Geller, and it has the spoon, <laughs> the bent spoon on the cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got a lot of books. Yeah, no, he's he's a pretty cool dude, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, what what kind of things are we looking forward to coming up? We have the month of April. Um, there are some movies that are going to be out this month. Uh, anything that's sticking out to you? Uh, in April? Nothing. I don't know. I saw the movie I wanted to see. My year is fulfilled. Is it? There's Civil Wars coming out, man. Yeah, well, not in April. Well, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think there's season two of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt uh, oh, yeah. is so, supposed to be coming out. And I'm pretty excited about that. That's actually like what? Uh, I think like. It's like the daredevil of comedy. It is. Uh, Tina Fey. You know, she's taken some heat in the last, you know, I don't know, last couple of months because of her movie WTF. And I, I, I still, they, they, I think that somebody pointed out to me that she's never had a, a Hispanic on the show that wasn't represented as a janitor or a cleaning woman. Uh, <laughs> and I go back and I check and I'm like, damn it, she's, that's right. <laughs> but. But you have to go back and think about it. every artist has their own thing that they're trying to focus on. Oh, sure. You could, like find other stuff where it's just like, oh, I don't care enough about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, like seriously, she, her, her whole thing. And if you, if you read her book, bossy pants, uh, which is fantastic, go read it. Uh, she, the real big things that have happened in her life that were central, you know, themes to her were, were, uh, oppression, uh, to, uh, to, homosexual life, you know, just like all of her friends were always just, you know, beaten yeah. down and she hated that. And then, uh, the, the oppression that comes with, you know, to women, you know, and those are, those are pretty strong themes. And I think they express themselves in every pro- project that she has. And so, I, I mean, it, I, am I going to give her a, a, a beat down because she doesn't put, you know, Mexicans as the, the next CEO of a company? No, I mean, I, I, I get where she's coming from, you know, she's putting what's passionate to her out there. So, um, but yeah, so Kimmy Schmidt is kind of like in, is a, a big, uh, thing for her. And, uh, and I, I, it was a piece that she produced, you know, and then I think NBC passed on it. Uh, they yeah. were, they were going to green light it. And then all of a sudden they canceled on her. And so Netflix came to the rescue and released it and it was a hit. I mean, it, it's really amazing. I, it's probably one of the only shows that I watched, uh, beginning to end, like within a, a Saturday. I think <laughs> I, I had a Saturday off. Me and my wife had a, a whole day to do something. And we just sat and watched like 12 episodes or, or I don't remember her on that or like 12 or 14 or whatever. And, yeah. uh, spent the whole day doing that and, and it was time well spent. I'm sure. Yeah. So it's a good way to spend a Saturday. Right. I may have to do that. Take some time off and watch it when it's out. I love that show. I love Tina Fey. I cap. I cap. 
So, um, anything else? Well, the only other things I'm looking forward to, of course, like all the comic book movies, like Civil War, uh, uh, Suicide Squad, uh, just uh, mainly because I want to see the one scene that they're going to put Batfleck in, which will probably be at the end of the movie. Uh, that's all I'm looking forward to. In this one. I mean, because we're really going to hit the stride of summer movies, so I'll probably be in a movie theater a lot over the next few months because uh, Force Awakens and Hateful Eight are coming out on uh, DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, this Tuesday, and I already pre-ordered uh, Force Awakens because uh, I wanted to make sure I get the steelbook case of that because <laughs> because I'll probably miss it when it comes out on Tuesday. Uh, but I was going to ask you, like, is Hateful Eight because you've already seen it, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, uh-huh. Would it be worth purchasing? Yeah, no, that one I, I probably will pick up that one. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, no, the Hateful Eight is a uh, is pretty cool. <laughs> I think I think there's times when he tries to make it seem like uh, like he's trying to get away with being as racist as he can, <laughs> you know, I'm like, like saying stuff that you're just like, huh? I mean, I get what he was doing, but did he have to put all those references to the N word? I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeesh, but I mean, outside of that, it's a really good story. And loyalty is, is really the key of that. Um, yeah. you know, of that story, you know, what, what is loyalty and where does it come from? And, um, how can it be challenged? That kind of thing. So yeah, I definitely should watch it. Um, Force Awakens, I'm pretty excited. There's supposed to be some really cool, uh, Blu-ray editions, like the, the cutscenes and stuff like that. So we're probably going to get that one. I'm excited. That's how I'm going to spend my next two days off is watching Force Awakens one day and hatefully the next day. Uh, okay. So we're going to be starting up here very soon. We're going to have our next contest to, to suggest a movie. I think we're going to do it a little bit differently. What I, what I think what's going to happen, cause we got a, a giant bevy of, uh, this trove of like a giant list of films that we can watch. So what I'm going to do is we're going to post, uh, uh, we're going to post a grouping, uh, of the films onto the Facebook page. And then we're going to let the, the voters decide now of the winning film in the voter category. Um, we're going to, we're going to put everybody into a little drawing and then we're going to see, uh, who wins the, uh, the prize, the Mexi Bro Movie Show stickers. And again, after we get a few winners in, or if, if you want to on your own, go to the website, redbubble.com, search for the Mexi Bros. We have a link on it from our website and, uh, you can actually purchase the Mexi Bro stickers. Again, if you put this, uh, Mexi Bro sticker in a really cool place, like, uh, like tag, like a tag a police car with one. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You can get, you can get in a lot of trouble for doing yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And it has our, it has our website address on it. <laughs> I didn't put it there. Um, if you, if we have the, uh, if you, if you put it in somewhere creative, I, I mean, like if you, if you put it on a, on your crash helmet right before you, you know, jump over the Grand Canyon, evil Knievel style, then, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and send you a Mexi Bro movie show t-shirt. Now you can bypass all the needless waiting to getting the Mexi Bro movie show t-shirt simply by going to redbubble.com again searching for it we have there's sweatshirts and there's t-shirts uh i i want to say i think it was uh i think we confirmed that you can you can actually get the logo on a on a cell phone case is that correct or am i just dreaming that uh yeah if, if i release it on, <laughs> to be on a cell phone case yeah we can definitely do that i mean if you can yeah, yeah there's lots of products we can we can stick it on i'm just waiting to get the formatting right for the cell phone case all right. All right. We want to thank, uh, our, again, our, our submission, uh, winner this month, John R, uh, for suggesting the movie Squirm. Um, I, I'm really, I'm really dumbfounded as to how you made it to the end. 
I only did because of the podcast. If I had to watch that on my own, I don't think I ever would have been. So my hat goes off to you, sir. Amen. Thanks, John. You did the proper assignment of finding us a bad movie to watch. Yes, you did. <laughs> the world did the assignment of not liking, not liking. As I tend to do every month. <laughs> This is this is the perfect format for me because golly, I hate everything. Is it? <laughs> yeah, no, oh, man. I mean, like at least at least I don't seem like a total dick whenever everyone's like, "Oh, Titanic was such a great film. It's so good," and I'm like, "It sucked." And everybody's like, "You, sir, need to leave this party." You don't know love. That's right. <laughs> I don't know love. So, Fred, where can our friends talk to us here at the Mexi Bro Movie Show? Uh, you can talk to us on our Facebook page at the uh, Mexi Bro Movie Show on Facebook or at the Mexi Bros on uh, Twitter. Or, or they can go to our website at uh, the uh, Mexi Bro Movie Show dot com dot com <laughs> and talk with us, chat with us, give us comments on the show. Let us know what you like <laughs> and keep what you don't Just like to yourself. <laughs> Oops. We're gonna we're gonna be posting some fun stuff out there. I guess we're gonna we're gonna try and get a little bit more engagement from you guys, uh, just because uh, I know most of the people. I, I mean, there's some there's a there's a section of people in the the group that I don't know, but uh, but I know most of you, and you guys are all pretty damn creative. So uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna engage you a little bit and see what we can squeeze out of your your lovely melons. So but that can be, came out kind of weird. I, I'm sticking to it. Um, stay tuned for next month. There's going to be a little mini episode where we're going to host uh, a, a brief interview with uh, with Tom Blackburn, uh, originally from Lubbock, Texas, uh, now living in Portland, Oregon, and he hosts a couple of different bands. He he's done a few things for the last uh, last twenty years of uh, his life, and uh, he was kind enough to come by and give us a little bit of music history for Lubbock, Texas, as well as uh, a performance where he performed a couple tunes. And it was really, really fun. <laughs> he came by and he shared some of his talents with us. So we are really, uh, really grateful for that. And of course, uh, our music producer, his name is Brandon Blair, uh, totally just came in here like a beast, set everything up and then recorded and and had it mixed and down, ready to, to go in a couple of days. So we were really, uh, really appreciative of all the work that you do, uh, Brandon. So, um, man, whew, that, again, big, big month, big episode. And again, thanks to, our, uh, thanks to our guest, Travis Nichols, um, for that, that wonderful interview. I mean, it's really cool to see how someone who is creative, uh, can marry that with focus and, and get so much stuff done at, at a, you know, a relatively young age and, and, uh, you should definitely go check out his work. Uh, we're going to have a link to our, our, on our page where you can see his work and actually pick up a copy yourself. Uh, as we speak, uh, my copies for, uh, Matthew meets the man and, uh, the, uh, the monster doodle book should be arriving. And, uh, my kids are super excited. So we're going to, we're going to run an experiment to see how quickly they, they tear through the book and, and uh, go from there, man. You got anything else, man? I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Except Picking up my, my DVDs and Blu-rays. Right. Well, man. Looks like there's nothing else but to say. Live. Love. And papas.
The Mexi Brown Movie Show is produced by Fred and Noel at the Bad Movie Mesa Studios, a division of Trekker Mecker Productions. The Little Orphan Army segment is produced by Brandon Blair. Music used in this episode. The Squirm Theme by Robert Prince. Bring Olives by Tom Blackburn. Know Your Monster by The Omega Monster Patrol. Lumpy by Kazmora. Visit us at themexipromovieshow.com. Thank you for listening.